Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Trish and Sarah Wrestling Podcast. I am Sarah. I'm Trish. And this is our podcast. We talk about wrestling news and various topics from different promotions, primarily AEW, uh, but also New Japan Pro Wrestling, WWE, and topics from around the wrestling world. Whatever we find interesting, and we hope you will too. Uh, Today is Sunday, February 4th, 2024, and we are going to start our podcast with the news that has been all over the place for the last almost two weeks now, which is the um, backstage goings on at WWE and the lawsuit uh, that has been filed in uh, civil court and the uh, potential federal investigation into this, uh, which is the lawsuits filed against WWE, Vince McMahon, and John Laurinaitis for sex harassment, rape, sex trafficking, you name it. So... Those are pretty heavy topics, so this is a trigger warning for anybody who's listening. You do not have to listen to us talk about this topic. We're going to put timestamps in our episode description. Please feel free to skip this. Um, We are not planning on getting into um, a specific description of the stuff in the lawsuit itself, but we are going to talk about it pretty freely as we discuss this. So if it's something you don't want to listen to, you don't have to. Just, you know, move along. So... Um, so starting this off is kind of a bit of a challenge for us. And I think one of the things that Trish and I have been struggling with over the last couple weeks is how so many different folks are talking about this topic and sort of flipping back and forth between the kayfabe stuff and the stuff in this lawsuit, which is really terrible, and the business side of it. And so much of it is so intertangled that I don't think there's a way for us to detangle it as much as it seems as though we might be putting the really heavy stuff next to sort of the really trivial stuff. Um, I know that I personally struggled last weekend with the way that people were talking about the Royal Rumble in one breath and sex trafficking in the second breath. But I don't know that I can really say there's a better way for us to do it. So we're kind of going to run through a chronology of... um, what's happened over the last two weeks. This is going to include stuff that's uh, happened on screen, stuff from business side, and uh, lawsuit stuff. So uh, then we're going to discuss the three different impacts of this, one of which the first is which is going to be WWE, the second of which is going to be kind of the wrestling media and how they've handled it, and then kind of our feelings on the topic. Um, that's kind of the three, you know, we love an umbrella topic. That's kind of the three ways we're going to approach this. So this kind of goes back to January 1st, 2024, which is when The Rock appeared on the day one Raw episode, Monday, uh, January 1st, and he kind of teased a match with Roman Reigns. The ratings for this episode were huge, even though The Rock was not announced for it, Um, but he brought in a big audience and they stuck around, which is another thing to note. Um, On Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024, which was the last... um, Coincidentally enough, the last day we released a a podcast, The Rock Rock was announced 
um, as being appointed to the TKO Board of Directors. He had gotten the rights to The Rock trademark back from WWE, uh, which he then leased WWE in a profit-sharing maneuver. Um, he also got $30 million in TKO stock, um, and it was kind of an indication that there was maybe more of a partnership, although there was not any discussion of anything happening on screen. Like an hour after this, again that same Tuesday, TKO announced that Raw would be appearing on Netflix starting on January 1st, 2025, and that the deal was for $500 million a year um, and was a five to 10 year deal with Netflix holding an option at five years um, to either let the uh, program go or to extend it for another 10 years. Um, This deal looked really great at first. I mean, 500 million a year for Raw is just unbelievable. But the back end of it, it also this deal also includes the rights to most of WWE's um, international catalog, like international rights, as well as their full WWE network catalog, at least internationally. So the cost of all those things added together sort of brought that 500 million dollars down significantly. And this was something that folks were sort of puzzling over. Um, Dave Meltzer specifically was really trying to figure out what this meant in terms of what TKO believed um, the future of streaming was. And it, it was kind of like a confusing business thing. And then on Thursday, we understood why the Netflix deal was set up the way that it was, because Janelle Grant, who is a former uh, WWE employee, um, filed a lawsuit uh, in civil court um, alleging, uh, like I said, sex trafficking, sex abuse, like really horrible, nightmarish allegations about her experience in WWE, that essentially Vince McMahon um, met her when she was at a um, difficult time in her life after her parents had passed away, she was experiencing financial difficulties. He set her up with a job at WWE and essentially um, passed her around amongst employees, um, specifically John Laurinaitis, uh, specifically Brock Lesnar, was not named, but like the Wall Street Journal named him. Um, And this kind of just absolutely exploded on Thursday. Um, It was, you know, for those of you that haven't had an opportunity, if this is something you can do, I can't recommend, and I think I can speak for Trish in this, read the lawsuit. It includes text messages from Vince McMahon to Ms. Grant. It is, it it goes beyond anything you're going to see in the Wall Street Journal. I, I think for the most part, we, you know, sort of dance around some of these topics because they're so horrible to talk about, but it's real bad. Um... So this was Thursday, the 25th. There was a Wall Street Journal article, as we mentioned. Again, the Wall Street Journal were the ones that first brought this up when it came up back in uh, summer of 22. Um, Later on that day, Slim Jim, excuse me, it was the Friday, it was the next day, the 26th. Slim Jim announced that they were pausing their sponsorship of the Royal Rumble. Now, Slim Jim has obviously got a lengthy sponsorship relationship with WWE going back years. We all remember those commercials. Um, And this was a big deal. Usually when sponsors start to think about their relationships with a product, there's a a domino effect. So Slim Jim paused their relationship with with, uh, sponsorship of the Royal Rumble, and like almost immediately after that, Vince McMahon announced that he was resigning fully from TKO. No no relationship, nothing. He sent out a press release. TKO sent out a press release. Now, Vince McMahon strongly denied the allegations in the lawsuit with all the language in the world, but I don't think anybody really believed it, so... Um, the next day was Saturday the 27th. Slim Jim said they were back in. Um, Ronda Rousey made a, treat, a tweet about Bruce Pritchard and talked about how, and I think Trish has the specific language of it, which we'll get into, but talked about how if, if Bruce Pritchard was still working at WWE, then Vince McMahon was still involved in creative. Um, we had the Royal Rumble that night, 
And then afterwards, the press conference, which everybody all week had pretty much since Thursday to Saturday, that was kind of everything everybody was talking about was how was the wrestling media going to handle this press conference. Um, and it went very, very poorly. Um, there were some questions asked. There were four reporters specifically who tackled the questions. Uh, John Alba, Seahawk, uh, Nick Hausman, and... Um, I can't think of the fourth person off the top of my head, but... Um, Brandon Thurston. Thank you, Brandon Thurston. Cannot leave him out, but... They pressed uh, Triple H. Triple H did not get into any specifics. He refused to answer questions about keeping employees safe, and he specifically responded by saying that WWE had had an amazing week. Um, and this backfired really badly, because on Sunday, the 28th, the headlines were... Um, all over the place in like traditional media, the Daily Mail, uh, TMZ, there were all sorts of articles. It went over like a lead balloon. So Monday, the 29th, um, Nikki and Brie Garcia, the former Bella twins, made a statement um, about how they felt about this. Obviously, John, John Laurinaitis, who's named in this, is their uh, mother's husband. Um, Ronda Rousey, excuse me, uh, Punk who had a sustained an tricep injury at the Royal Rumble. Um, that news broke and uh, Punk was on Raw crying uh, about not being in WrestleMania, which clearly that match was canceled. Um, February 1st, which was the uh, Wednesday, John Laurinaitis released a statement. He, In fascinating news, he did not deny any of the allegations in Ms. Grant's lawsuit, but simply said he was also a victim, which raised a whole bunch of questions about whether or not he was you know, going to testify that these things actually did happen. And again, we'll discuss this a little bit more in deep. And then on Friday, the second, the Wall Street Journal revealed in an article that not only has a civil lawsuit been filed by Ms. Grant, but there is a federal investigation into Vince's sex trafficking. And we all knew, and it was reported at the time that back last summer in July of 2023, uh, Vince McMahon's home was raided by the feds. I think a lot of folks involved thought that this had to do with the SEC investigation into the improper use of funds that he was using to pay from company money for these NDAs. But it turns out that it's actually about the sex trafficking. And that's a big, big deal. Um, the grand jury has subpoenaed Ms. Grant as well as four additional women who signed NDAs with Vince McMahon. Um, and this was, you know, again, a bombshell that broke on Friday. That night on SmackDown, uh, Cody Rhodes came out and said that he very much wanted to face um, Roman Reigns, but not yet. Uh, and then The Rock's music hit, he came out, and it seemed clear that he's going to be facing Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, and Cody walked sadly to the back. Um, in a sad, you know, discussion on wrestling fans in general, this has engendered more upset and more anger on Twitter than the sex trafficking. There are hashtags saying, you know, it's Cody's time or whatever the stupid hashtag is. Like, people are more pissed at this than they are. And, and you know, the meme is everywhere, but I'll basically say, it. you know, I can put up with sex trafficking and rape, but I draw a line at bad booking for Cody. Like, this is where we're at, right? Like, just ridiculous. If you're not leaving, it, we'll get into this. I'm not, I can't start. I can't start. So yesterday, February 3rd, there were multiple reports from PWI, Fightful, suggesting that The Rock is more involved in creative and is positioning his uh, friend Brian Gerwitz, who is like responsible for a lot of his um, production company's work, uh, to take a larger role behind the scenes in WWE, and that Rock was aggressively uh, politicking for himself to not just have the match with Roman, but beat Roman. So um, Dave Meltzer did not had a show on this yet, but he's posted on his message board that the, the move to uh, have the match 
between Roman and The Rock came after the Rumble and was specifically in response to Punk being out with an injury and Brock Lesnar uh, being essentially excised completely from WWE. So this is kind of a quick summary of where we are at. That's sort of an overview, and I apologize for the length of it, but I felt like Trish and I both felt like getting that kind of laid out was important in terms of how we're going to discuss this. So I think the one thing I want to say before I throw it to Trish is that this is a lawsuit that is, a lot of people are referring to this as a Vince McMahon lawsuit. Janelle Grant is suing WWE. She is specifically alleging that corporate officers and board members were fully aware that she was in a sexual relationship with Vince McMahon, that they knew who she was, that they knew she was not qualified for the job she was being paid for, that they encouraged and aided her being moved from department to department so that she could continue to be paid even though the work she was doing was essentially, it was essentially a show up job, okay? So like, that's, let's, let's put aside this. One of the big discussion points has been, you know, what other members, what did Stephanie know? What did Triple H know? What did Nick Khan know? Like, when did they know it? And a lot of folks are making a lot of effort to make sure that those guys, you know, don't feel bad. So Trish, I just talked a lot. I'm going to throw it to you. Where we yeah. even start with this? And we struggled to start with this. We said if we, we had did. to talk about this last week, we, it probably wouldn't have happened, to be honest. Yeah. Um, such was our strength of feeling. But yeah, you know, that is the right place to start, is that this isn't just against Vince McMahon or John Laurinaitis. And John Laurinaitis claims that he's also a victim, although it is important to note that he was fired in uh, early on in his WWE career and then brought back for something of a similar nature. Not quite, you know, we're not talking sex trafficking, but we are talking abuse of power. So... It's that's an interesting side point that I'm sure will come back up. But yeah, this is they're claiming that the NDAs were signed just by Vince McMahon yep. and he represented the company. But this suit talks about corporate officers being involved, you know, though, not just that, there's a long time period here where a lot of people in WWE did know, and especially in their corporate structure and especially yeah. that board that was there when he forced his way into power again and sent him the letter as a group, as a collective, saying you are a risk to the stockholders and to our stock price and you are not welcome back. And that includes, you know, Triple H, Nick Khan, you know, Stephanie McMahon. And that was after what they had a investigation. An investigation where the lead person on their board that led that investigation was removed by Vince McMahon when he returned to the company. And the two other people involved in that investigation, the corporate board members, resigned. So to say that the first some of these people have learned of this in the company is this particular week. Um, <laughs> I don't even know how you can make the claim, to be honest. And the thing is, it's not just like it was just WWE. So as you mentioned, he was raided in July of uh, 2023. And that was in the middle of their takeover with... Endeavor yep. to form TKO. And there's so therefore there is literally no way that Ari Emanuel wasn't aware when he was making statements about how much he needed Vince to, you know, take this company forward and all those sorts of things. In fact they even disclosed it. They disclosed it to their shareholders when they said that he was a risk to their share price from a legal capacity. Yes. So his, his legal issues were and other issues were a risk. Yeah. They disclosed it on the freaking forms. Yeah. Um it's probably when you look back and you you know, the benefit of hindsight is you can kind of start to see when things happened as 
kind of the reason why. You know, Vince McMahon's selling a ton of shares last September before any of these major TV deals were agreed, when you think that you probably get more money from them later on. Looks more suspect. Him being removed from kind of creative control and that sort of thing, and the day-to-day running of WWE in terms of that, you know, the kind of more people-side capacity by Area Manual last September to October now looks completely different. So that fully says to me he is aware. I can't see it any other way with that. But there is this thing. So the other thing is, is uh, there's straight away there's been this element to just say it's just Vince. Yeah. It's just Vince. Just Vince. Or, or Vince is just not involved in WWE at the moment. But hey, Vince has very much been involved in TKO matters in the last year since you know year and a half whatever you want to talk about since if you want to talk about since um january 2023 even in the last couple of months you know he was responsible primarily for the ufc saudi deal so yeah. he's still working with tko there you know he was ringing the bell at the new york stock exchange last tuesday yeah 48 hours La- before last this lawsuit tuesday was 40 hours before the lawsuit was filed and just before the netflix deal announcement you know, and they even have merch of his on sale at the Royal Rumble on Thursday. Yeah. You're which telling me pulled, he's not involved in this company. Yeah, which they pulled after photos of it uh, started appearing on social media. Then it disappeared from this. Then they physically removed it from the store. But yeah, there were Vince McMahon stuff being sold at the Rumble. But the biggest thing about Vince and about the, the thing that worries me or the way that you have to kind of think about this in some way is he had, has he has had such an influence and continues to have such an influence on the way that wrestling is presented, on the way kind of women in wrestling are presented. Yep. And you can't shy away from that. So not only is it just an impact in terms of his dealings or his corporate status or in terms of the company and their corporate kind of whether it's their shareholders or their stock price or whatever, it's also a huge impact on wrestling as an industry as a whole. And you just can't separate them. I don't think you can. And that's what kind of worries you a little bit. So, you know, a lot of the presentation of women in WWE over the last 25 years has been pretty terrible. Yeah. Way behind most other industries. You know, a lot of is said about kind of Kevin Dunn's attitude and his kind of constant misogynistic comments across, you know, headsets and that sort of thing, and that being just kind of a culturally accepted thing. Um, but then also, it's not just that sort of thing that he's responsible for. You look at how sh- shows are shot, their presentation, the kind of the stories telling and the way matches have to be kind of laid out even to stupid names of things then that's kind of fed into like network expectation and how other products have been influenced by it you know how disappointing was it to see kind of AEW move towards very much a more WWE presentation in their you know the look in the sound and you know in the last year we got very close with kind of the storytelling as well right um and not just that there's this thing in wrestling and I know a lot of people spoke about this after um the last couple of years, but there a lot of people in wrestling see themselves as you haven't made it until you've made it with Vince. Right. So his approval, and this is what allows kind of abuse of power to happen so much, is his approval means more to some people than anything else. It's like the biggest thing in wrestling is to have Vince's approval. You know, even I think after the kind of uh, the original Wall Street Journal article and him standing down 
uh, in the summer of 2022, there was comments from a number of people that were kind of worrying in a way, but kind of illustrated the hold that he has over people. She had a guy like Brian Danielson, you know, yep. who says, you know, second thing I should say about stuff and just Vince in general is maybe it's more about love. I love you. If you love somebody, then people make mistakes and you love them regardless. And this isn't a mistake, is it? This is, you know, and the thing is, I thought it was quite clear when they did the original articles in the Wall Street Journal that this was not something forgiv- for- forgivable. But do you think that it's because there's, the, you know, this is laid out in so much graphic detail and there's an actual name and a face and that sort of thing that people are treating us differently? I think that's part of it. And this starts to get into where I begin to have conflicting and contradictory feelings about everything. And I think one of the things that I would ask our listeners is to kind of be understanding that I'm going to say one thing vehemently and then probably five minutes later contradict myself vehemently because, you know, this has been a really difficult two weeks to be someone who follows wrestling, to be a woman who follows wrestling. It's been a very hard two weeks, you know. Um, And I think, you know, one of the things you want to try to do is say this can't be something that is acceptable, you know, this kind of understanding and, and, you know, the way that you would view another human being, like the way that you would think that this is something that would be okay, like casually, would, wouldn't be acceptable. But I think one of the things you also have to understand and have a little bit of, you know, grace and empathy for is how many, like you said, how many people, this is everything to them, right? This is the environment that they have this is the pinnacle of potential achievement. This is the, the, the end all be all for them in terms of what they can happen, what can have happen for them professionally. This is the one man at the top of the pyramid who makes the decisions. He sets the trends. He sets the, you know what I mean? Like you still see it today. We see it constantly in every, every tribalist bullshit argument about AEW versus WWE. So much of it boils down to that's not how they do it in WWE. So it's not good right? That's a nightmare to try to dismantle that. And how much, like you said, that's all one guy, one fucked up, racist, sexist guy who, if these allegations are true, is depraved beyond like anything that like you would expect a normal human being. Like it's as bad as anything. Like, you know, when we talked about comparisons to Harvey Weinstein, like this is even almost beyond that. Right. So like, on the one hand, you'd be like, how could anyone excuse this at all? Or or even look at Vince and be like, well, you know, I love him. Like, how could you look at, you know, and then you say, well, I can kind of also see how that could happen. It, it, it's just, it just sort of, I think, goes to show how fucked up the industry is and has been in a while that the, the standards of like what's acceptable, like this guy is up there, right? That you have people who genuinely think if his opinion, if he doesn't think positively of you, you don't mean anything. Well, look, you, you know, there's another one. Like John Cena. I love Vince McMahon. He's everything you could want in a great friend, business partner, father, mentor. I love the man. Everybody has the right to their perspective. I have the right to mine. When you love somebody, you take them as imperfect as they are. We all make mistakes. We all have poor decisions. Lord knows I've made a collection of poor choices. That doesn't mean I'm not going to love somebody. There's no way I can go on record and say I don't love Vince McMahon. Like, and this is kind of protecting your own spot as well. Yeah. Because how you're seen in the industry is based off the viewpoint of this one individual. 
you know, this is and it's and that bleeds into everywhere else. You know, we saw that with the punk thing and how he saw anybody that hadn't been successful in WWE as nobodies, and how yeah. that kind of even bled into how AEW was used. You know, with lots of ex WWE hires being positioned higher than people who'd come from outside, even though the people coming from outside were just as strong or in some cases stronger draws. Right. So there is that thing and it's constant. And that is not going to kind of go away anytime quick, even though people may now recognise or sort of being woken up to the kind of how horrific these things are because it's not the first time things have been alleged against Vince McMahon and it wasn't the first time when these comments were made. All these comments were made after the original Wall Street Journal piece. Right. Um, the thing is, when we also talk about who knew and it's interesting now that there seems to be this effort to kind of keep the structure, especially from the fan base. I don't know if that's so much corporately. I think when we talk about the power struggle a bit, I'm not so sure. But in terms of the fan base, you know, this is this effort to kind of protect Triple H. It's a huge and effort. It's yeah. it's it boggles my mind in a way where like the number of people who have I've been assured repeatedly there's absolutely no way that and look, I think there's a couple of things here, right? We have to take a couple of things into account. Mm-hmm. There is what happened before the Wall Street Journal published their original article in 2022, which was based around someone uh, at, at the time it was theorized, we don't know, going to the board of directors of WWE and saying, Janelle Grand has experienced this. This is her story. This is what happened to her. And the board investigating that and Vince McMahon resigning. Okay, So I think it's reasonable to say that as of the summer of 2022, the people on the board of directors of WWE knew what Janelle Grant was alleging, knew what was going to come out in this lawsuit. Before then, I think it's reasonable to question whether or not the full depravity of what was going on was something that was common knowledge in WWE or whether people in WWE simply believed that this was a consensual relationship, which again, we're talking about, even if it is a consensual relationship, we're talking about someone who has um, taken someone and put them an employee who works for them and is, is in a sexual relationship with an employee, right? And is basically paying them a salary to do like that's that's fucked up. Like, that's your best case scenario, okay? That's your best case scenario. And what, again, this assumes that the lawsuit is, is accurate. What Janelle Grant is talking about is that this was fairly common knowledge within WWE, that she was basically there to serve for, that she was there for, for Vince's sexual whims, right? Like, so that's still really fucked up. That wouldn't fly in any other company, and that would be like an immediate, you're fucking out of here, situation like if i knew that the 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 ceo of my company had hired someone just to have sex with them and i didn't tell the shareholders i'm kind of in a lot of trouble there so the part where people are like well you know he knew it was a consensual relationship or they knew it was a consensual relationship so it's fine you know they just knew it was a mistress situation it's still not good like it's still real bad like it's like it's you know fraud bad right so like that's the part where i'm just kind of like why is everybody in such a goddamn rush like to to make this like and I'm not saying you need to like the guy needs to be tarred with a feather and brush or whatever but effective summer of 22 these people knew what was going on there's a reason Stephanie McMahon quit this company like twice 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 she quit when she found out what was in the she quit like literally if you look at any WrestleNomics again and I can't praise Brandon Thurston and John Pollock enough for the stuff they've done on this I don't think there's anybody who's come close to their reporting on this story from the wrestling side let's talk about that they put a timeline together and the timeline makes it very very clear that Stephanie McMahon 
did not want to be involved in this. Like the, the, the dates that line up in terms of what was filed when and when came back, it's, it, you know. So like, what happened yeah, there? But she's not, let's be clear, she's not a hero either. She no, went out and led God, that crowd no. and led that, she's not a hero. So no, just no, be clear, because, no, 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 no. you know, people are jump, jumping all over that one as well. But no. yeah, so it's that thing though. So there's two things to that is, we're very clear that the board knew. And the people involved in them positions of power new. And there's been quotes from people in the industry, and you know, particularly to Dave Meltzer and the Observer, that makes it very clear that people in the industry think Triple H knows a lot more as well. So it's that sort yeah. of thing. But, you know, there's two different things. So there's a lot of people that say, well, everybody knew. And I listened to Lance Storm talk about, well, he didn't really know. You know, he didn't see anything. And there will be people that don't know anything at all. But they'll be definitely, they'll have heard things, because everybody's heard things, right? If we're hearing things and they've heard things, right? There (laughs) will be, yeah, you know, but there will be people who haven't seen anything. But there will also be people who suspect something or saw something or heard something, but they're not sure. And this happens. I've been in this position where you know something's not right, but you can't put your finger on it. Right. And you can't do anything. Right. And then... But there's this thing of saying, oh, it's just about Vincent Mann. It doesn't involve anyone else. We're in the lawsuit alone. He talks about referees. He talks about production. Yep. They say it doesn't involve talent. You know, it's just about Vince. It involves a talent. There is a talent yeah. listed in this lawsuit. Yeah. So we know it goes beyond management. You can't claim that when there is a talent involved and who's been removed from their creative plans, not from the company, but just in their creative plans, just to make note. Um, so... And they're countless stories. You know, you don't even need to kind of look that far. But this is about a culture. And it's about a yes. culture that's not just in WWE, but streams across wrestling. But starts there because that is the top company. And other people replicate something that they see like that. So, you know, there's the quote that somebody gave to Dave, a faceless quote, that said, the thing about this place, if TKO starts cleaning house, they're going to show up with a bucket and some... Lysol. They'll realise there's shit in the walls and the floorboards. They're going to have to bring out the sledgehammer because that shit is going to turn into a demolition job. Down to the foundation. Sledgehammer pun not intended. Um, This is a cultural thing. It goes... It's not, oh, these things were Vince and it was hidden. No. This has been institutionalised and abuse of power is treated like a normality. Yes. And until you look at that and you think that things actually have to change that will continue because there is a power structure in wrestling and the power structure means that you know whenever there's an abuse of power there's no real consequences the the attitude is not to have consequences for powerful individuals particularly um in fact you know you look at what happened with vincent mann and nick khan spoke about this on bill simmons podcast it's like well actually you know give him some time away and then he comes back People expect that I brought Lesnar. We'll give him some time and then we'll bring him back. Right. You know, the Ric Flair thing with Tony Khan, oh, we'll let it die down and then we'll bring him in. Right. So there isn't a consequence if you are a powerful individual. There's no line. And, you know, and did, did you, um, have you had a chance to hear the Shawn Michaels press call? Oh, God. <laughs> people were, right. were going on about, and you're going to have quotes about this, but like mm-hmm. people are going on about what a great job he did. And I'm like, <laughs> what the f- Go ahead, read some of this because, like, again, yeah. people again insisting he did he did such a good job in this press conference, Trish. <sighs> yeah. Um, so it has to be mentioned an individual where there have been potential allegations and stories about him in the past as yes. well. Yes. 
Um, and I think that is to mention, you know, there's this culture of so much of this stuff that there doesn't seem to be anyone out there without some sort of whatever it's. But I'm stereotyping. There is seems to be a lot of people in the power structure who have had potential issues in this area. So he says, you know, I think we foster a safe and supportive environment atmosphere down here. I know that they reinstalled an upgrade in 2022, some of those regulations and whatnot, but we've always conscious of that. He was asked, actually, so what have you changed since then? And he couldn't name anything. Couldn't say so anything. So that was interesting. No, couldn't say anything. I'll get you and the then... list. I'll have to grab it. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and they even said, we always continue to try and think about it and be better than that. Um, we understand that young men and women coming through our doors are impressionable. Um, there was a couple things that he said that were crazy to me. So I'm going to come back to the uh, the regulation one. But the other one was kind of that everyone's aware of the Vince McMahon situation. But he didn't say anything to have been addressed by it. And other people have said to, I think, to fight for as well, that no, and to Dave, that there has been no meetings. There has been nothing nope. to address this in, in inside WWE. There's been no corporate thing, nothing. So we're just pretending that it hasn't happened and we don't need any consequences and we don't need to change anything. That's actually a disgrace. I can't think of... If you were... It doesn't matter if you're male or female. In terms of feeling protected at work and feeling like there's going to be progress or consequences, like if that happened in any other workplace, it just it just wouldn't. It actually just wouldn't happen in any it other workplace. It wouldn't. It's, a, it it's an absolute disgrace. And the thing is, he says, you know, we don't need a piece of paper to um, to kind of progress. Actually, pretty much in every workplace, you, you kind of do. You know, I work in a, a, a workplace that was pretty much the Wild West. And especially in terms of misogyny and... and it was very much a nepotism-based workplace in terms of getting jobs there as well. The only pl- way that changed is because corporately they had to change and they had to have rules. And then there had to be consequences. And if you don't have that, then nothing changes. And this isn't a place, you know, the Performance Centre where Bill DeMott was, you know, yep. released for abusing trainees a decade ago under Triple H's leadership as well which never fell back on him. Nope. And so what has changed since then? How are you protecting everyone? You know, another closed environment, so football, soccer, whatever you want to call it, that's a very much a closed environment, quite similar to wrestling, where previously, you know, there's been, unfortunately, a huge history of sexual exploitation and other forms of abuse, and they now have to impose safeguarding. There has to be that. And, you know, we just had recently, a, there's a recent one, a club in the UK, where... They have sacked a manager who was potentially involved in bullying that led to a suicide. It was actually cleared of that, but was actually sacked because they found out about an inappropriate relationship at a previous club. So, you know, and people talk, oh, you know, it doesn't matter if he's having an affair with somebody under him. No, if you are that part in the power structure where you are responsible for this person's career... Yeah then inappropriate relationships are just as much against safeguarding than as anything else. So you've got to set these lines. And we've got these other closed environments, like football, who are moving quicker forward and progressing than wrestling is. And I don't know what it will take for wrestling to do the same. You know, is there the ability to speak up? So in some of these other industries, there is. But in wrestling, is there... So, you know, we've, we've seen the Bellas, we've seen Ronda Rousey, and we've seen Maria Canellis-Bellet speak up in the last week. 
by their names, not behind a, a quote or by their names. But no one else has been able to. And, you know, first of all, it's incredibly brave for them to do that. Yes. And especially in this industry, because this is this industry, it's very easy to get blackballed um, from a company, from an industry. And it's even more easy to get blackballed when you are making statements like that than it is to get blackballed as an abuser. Time and time again, that's that's never been any different. How sad is that? And, you know, do you think they really wouldn't get punished? If you stepped up and you said, actually, I'm seeing things and something needs to be done about it, it's more likely that you will be punished than anything else. And they'll find ways to punish you. Because they can do, because of the way that the business works. And, you know, and there's people who say, well, why can't other people come out and talk? And they forget that there are limited places of employment in this industry. And WWE is still the major employer. And so many people outside of WWE are influenced by that mindset and by, as we talked about a minute ago, success being d- determined by, you know, the thoughts of Vince McMahon that that will straight away move you to one side. So being able to step up and speak out is not easy. You are literally challenging your ability to earn in the future. That's what we're talking about here. And that's kind of why it feels more like an industry problem than just a WWE problem, you know? And people are going to look at that. They're not just going to look at WWE. They're going to look at other companies as well in this because they all are part of the industry. Whether that's fair or unfair, you know, you can decide back and forth. But, yeah, they're going to look at AEW, who have just, you know, they've just hired a new head of people and culture. A lot of people will keep reminding you of that. And they now say that they run by a disciplinary committee. I think Tony Khan said it was, um, we have the most safe environment, we have the best safety record of any pro wrestling company. Well, that's a very fucking low bar. Yeah. Um, It's a really low (laughs) bar. Like, you know. The bar is in the fucking basement. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. And the thing is, when he says something like that, and you look at it, and you said... And I thought about this for quite a while with all this. And realistically, you know, and this goes beyond kind of sexual abuse and trafficking. This goes, you know, any type of abuse. But that that kind of thing emerges from abuses of power. And is it realistically anything in recent years that would suggest that people would have trust in going to Tony Khan about abuses of power? I don't know. And this is not to say that Khan himself has done anything, because there is absolutely nothing, no, nothing to say that. Nothing. And I think so, we can stress that. Yes, absolutely. Like, there's nothing to question of his conduct in that way. Absolutely um, not. But in, in terms of how he protects his people, you know, we talk, right. I mentioned a minute ago, Ric Flair is able to just be waded out and now come on in and now a guy that has several serious allegations of sexual abuse... And many a story in people's autobiographies that looks like sexual abuse, where people just go, oh, it was the time. Well, now he's emblazoned all over their product with his corporate right. sponsorship. You know? And then in the last year, let's be honest, they've lost two female executives, high-level executives, yep. who have been vilified, driven, and basically, which is basically driven by a current, at that point, member of management and talent, and weren't protected at all by the company, but also stopped from actually speaking themselves. Yeah, and I don't know. When you look at that, would you be comfortable as a member of AEW talent or staff 
thinking that he's going to protect you from that abuse of power? Does it depend how powerful that individual is? I don't think they have a sparkling record on that either. Um, and then, realistically, you know, the only thing that really is going to change anything is when you get pressure from outside. So sponsors, media partners, and in WWE's case, stockholders, or in New Japan's case, stockholders, if you want to look at them as well, in terms of different things. So these things won't change just because of fan support or fan backlash or anything like that, unless it affects the kind of the corporate side of the business. Do you really see it changing? Do you feel like there's this impetus for change? I'll tell you something kind of random as a personal anecdote uh, as before I answer your question. But I remember when I was younger, like maybe in my 20s, I thought, you know, there'll come a point in my life where I won't be bothered by the sexism as much. Right now, this is <laughs> naive child me. I won't be bothered by this. Not the sexism will go away, but it won't bother me anymore. And I can tell you <laughs> that has not been the case. Uh, and I think culturally, and this, this ties into like a larger conversation about feminism in 20th century and the, the, you know, the, the changing gender roles as, as women have taken more, you know, roles and started earning their own money and, and how, you know, men have not kept up with that necessarily. Like sometimes I feel like men are in a different, a generation behind women in terms of like, why do I have to be nice to girls now? Like, you know, well, <laughs> I don't have to marry you. I can make my own money. Like, I just think wrestling in general is a business in which so much of your promotion, it's, it's, a, it's a media thing, so much of your promotion, your push, et cetera, depends on the value that you are seen in by the promoter, right? By the booker, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to, at any point, endanger that relationship, right? Whether it's a sexual abuse situation or a non-sexual abuse situation, but that makes it more dangerous because you have a situation in which you don't want to rock the boat more than maybe someone in a job where they have to produce a product. And if they can't produce the product, like if I can't write the report and do the job I'm being hired to do, then there's a reason for me to get fired or not do as great. Right. Everything with wrestling is, is subjective. And we can, we talk about merch sales and ticket sales and all that stuff at the end of the day. If Vince McMahon likes you. It doesn't, that shit doesn't matter. And we saw that how many, with Roman Reigns, how many wrestlers did we see that with? It doesn't matter what the metrics are if Vince McMahon likes you. And like, think about, like, we, again, circling back to that, like, think about like Vince McMahon as a person, the type of person that he is, and take this lawsuit out of it. Because we've watched this for the last how many years on screen, right? We're not surprised by this. Does anyone who's watched WWE in the last 25 years surprised that Vince thinks women are not people? I don't think so. Like, you know, how, how recently were we doing brown panty matches, right? On national television, right? Does anybody who's watched WWE think Vince might have a problem with racism? Like, again, not a surprise. Like, we've seen it over and over again. So, like, this is the part where it kind of becomes, like, Wrestling, part of the reason why it's a joke is because it is in some ways kind of like a half step, you know, the media is not covered in glory on any of this either, right? The way we, the way the media presents attractiveness, everything, all that stuff, the media, you know, our general culture isn't good about this. But wrestling is even behind that, right? Like if you think about like what the, the, the parameters are, wrestling is like a half step behind that. 
And so much of that is because of Vince, one fucking guy. It's the thing is, is there's this atmosphere where there still wants to be the secretive nature of wrestling. Yes. And yes. people yes. say, oh, there's more, you can get more of an insight into wrestling than ever, and maybe you do. But the phrase that you always hear, you know, we just talked about protecting your own spot. Yeah, people right. will do that. But the phrase that you always hear when anything like this comes around or he wants to shut things down or keep things quiet is, well, we got to protect the business. Right. we got to protect the business. Well, at some point, you've got to start protecting people. And I don't know what is going to be the catalyst for that. If this is not the catalyst for that, then what, what are we doing? You know, will we ever be in a position where people can feel safe in wrestling? Or are you always at the front to wherever your place may be in the system? And, you know, that's not just sexual abuse. That's, yeah, it's complete abuse of power. And it's like that mantra of protect the business. That thing, you know, there's been recent kind of things in recent years where people have attempted to change that and then been hit back. So I just, I find it really difficult to see a way through that. And then, you know, you look at that Ronda Rousey quote, right? She said... Bruce Pritchard is basically Vince's avatar. If he's still around, Vince still has a hand in the business. Vince was still running things through Bruce when it through Bruce when he was gone before, and it's not just a case of yeah he may be running him as essentially a puppet, but in a mindset way there are lots of puppets. There are yeah. lots of people that are replicating everything that he has done in this industry, in right. terms of mindset. So. This isn't a quick thing. You can't just change this around with a few pieces of paper either, as much as we need them pieces of paper and we don't have them. But you will not be able to change this quickly because there are so many replicants. And I don't, I mean, I don't know if there's anything positive I can say on that, really. I don't, well, it's kind of bleak. This, again, this is why this has been a really fucking difficult two weeks because it is bleak. And we know that it's bleak. And we know that when it's, it's not going to get... It's not going to get better for us. Like, we're lucky we won't see it. Maybe our daughters will see it. Maybe the next generation will see it. You and I aren't going to see it. And that's the brutal part, right? Everybody has stories. We all have stories. We've all heard friends, siblings, sisters talk about this. You know, like what Maria Bennett, where Maria Canellis was talking about, we know. We've had those conversations. Those girls have talked to you. You've heard those stories. Every mm-hmm. single one of us has had that. So, like, to sit here and be like, well, you know, I, first of all, this isn't over, okay? If there is a goddamn grand jury subpoena, there's a lot more going on backstage than we even could know, okay? And the feds are not gonna just walk away from this if there's serious charges. And that's a thing that I think we need to keep in mind because that shit takes a long time too, right? You're not going away with federal charges anytime soon. And you can make a civil suit disappear, you can make discovery in a civil suit disappear, but if the feds show up with a subpoena, you gotta fucking tell them what you know. And you got to turn over those records and you got to do everything else. So I think that we're going to see a lot more of this. And I think people who are rushing to defend Triple H and defend Shawn Michaels and talk about how great it is that they have a piece of paper that he can't kind of come up with it off the top of his head, you know, but like maybe wait, like take a breath and wait a little bit. Like, I'm not saying you have to jump to their defense. I'm not saying you have to condemn them, but let's sort of see how this shit plays out. Because what I suspect is that there are a lot of people with a lot more secrets than even are rumored that are out there. Right. And that's the thing. So you know when everyone keeps saying there's a, there's a couple of things, and even like you know one of the um, major people at Netflix said, you know, Vincent Mann's gone, it's over. Right. And they're very much trying to do it with their creative and whatever they're doing is like, oh, the story is over now. The thing right. is, 
it's not over. And it doesn't matter that fans are talking about something else or whatever, or ESPN have done nothing to report on this because of their connections to other people on the TKO board. It doesn't matter because the people that are reporting on this aren't going to let it go. And they're no. not wrestling media. They're mainstream media. The Wall Street Journal, the Vice investigative journalists with a really good history of getting into this stuff and, and kind of getting the truth out there. And not just that, you've now got the feds in there. You can't control that. You can't mm. manipulate that. Nope. You can't challenge that in a way that you think, oh, it can just blah, blah, blah. Because, again, you know, the, those are the sort of people that are going to affect how your sponsors look at you, your media partners, and your shareholders. It will hit your right. share price. And the share price for UFC, you know, for TKO is already kind of going to have some challenges with the the legal threat of the lawsuit with the UFC, with the fighters. So these are the things that will fundamentally shape their business. Actually, what fans say and think don't isn't really going to matter in this. Sort of irrelevant. But that's why, yeah, it's, it's horrible as that is. But actually, they can hopefully be a driving force in helping change. Although maybe we're not seeing that this weekend. I'm not really sure. <sighs> but... The, the point is is that the sure. people that actually matter in this story in terms of creating change in that company and are still there. They're not distracted. They're not looking at anything else. They are focused on finding out the truth and there being consequences. And that's where the consequences are going to come from. They're not going to come from WWE. But they're going to come from them outside, whether it's the feds or whether it's what the investigative journalists put out there. I mean, WWE doesn't... (laughs) We live in a timeline in which the freaking headline, Roman Reigns testifies in Vince McMahon's sex trafficking trial, is not that outrageous. That's a strong, strong possibility. Okay, so like you think about how this freaking week has been like think about what happens if this goes to a criminal trial. And this is what I'm talking about. Right. If the if the allegation is sex trafficking, this is not like Vince and some unnamed executive you've never heard of. Okay, this is people at the toppest echelons of WWE and possibly other companies that have spread out because let's face it, wrestling is a small world. There's not a lot of people that have done this. They work in all these other places. Right. So like this idea that like I think there's some fans that are like, oh, this could just blow over like this. This is not blowing over. (laughs) No. And that's the thing is that I think a lot of people just think, oh, and maybe that was part of the thing with the press conference. You know, when Triple H turned up there, clearly unprepared, no empathy, no understanding of what he actually needed to deliver. And I think some of that was brought up on when these things have happened before. No one's challenged me. No one's challenged me. No one's kind of questioned me. They've kind of gone with this thing of WWE's kind of too big to be questioned or, you know, I'm just grateful for the access. And, you know, God, there's, you know, do you know they have fans at them things? It's part of one of their packages. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. this is one of the, like, the VIP packages is the fans show up for the media scrum. Yeah, so that shows you their kind of attitude to these media scrums. But then when he actually was challenged, he had... Not only did he have nothing to say that was productive, he also kind of embarrassed himself and either indicated that he was negligent or a liar. That's it. That's the only two choices. I haven't read it. You're, you're, yeah, we've heard that. that, that wasn't that, they call that the, uh, the Donald Trump tweet defense, I think. Or we call yeah. it the Rishi Sunak, Boris Johnson report defense, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, but it's very much, you're either negligent or a liar. Neither are good. 
Neighbor well, it was. It, it kind of harkens back and like, it, to me, it was a piece of the fucking SmackDown on Friday night, right? Okay. It was, and and not to tie something as serious as this to a fucking kayfabe storyline, <laughs> but I do think they're sort of part and parcel of the same attitude, which mm-hmm. is we don't, I don't have to explain this to you. I am going to do the least amount of work possible and you are going to eat it up because that's what I serve you and there's nothing else and that's, that's what you're going to do. Like that's the attitude towards, towards the fans, towards the shareholders, towards anybody in a position where, of oversight, right? Like I don't have to read the lawsuit or I don't have to tell you that I read the lawsuit. You'll just believe me. You know, I don't have to tell you what I'm doing to keep wrestlers safe. I don't have to give you a reason why Cody Rhodes is giving up this WrestleMania thing. You'll just buy it. You'll just go along with it. It's fine. Like, that's how they've approached this stuff for 30 plus years. Right? They, they, this is yep. how they've handled every scandal effectively since the beginning of time. And it's either that or it's distraction. And it was the same with the Netflix deal. Right? Oh, the so they announced... Yeah, so they announce the next. They announce the next flight, uh, the Netflix deal, and they have a nice flashy number, you know, five hundred million dollars a year, and they put the Rock on. The Rocky distraction tends to work quite well, um, but then when you you come out of it, it's like you promise one point three to one point four to your shareholders. Kind of works out either closer to one point one or one point two. Right now that you put the India deal on there, you know it's um either 9.4% increased or 18.4% increased. And the way that that's presented and the way it's sold is very much kind of smoke and mirrors. And this is what they do. (laughs) It's ironic to be talking about Cody Rhodes and saying smoke and mirrors, sorry. Um, (laughs) Gallows humour. But that's what they do. It's all very much smoke and mirrors and this thing of that we're actually giving people what they want, but we're kind of not. And... You know, I thought the Netflix deal was kind of interesting in terms of its release as well. So did they know this was coming? Was that rushed up? Did they take that deal even though they knew it wasn't kind of the monetary value that they wanted? Even though they talked about, oh, we, you know, we want exposure, we want to work on streaming. It was a sudden kind of big drop from what they promised. And if you match it up with the deal that they got from USA, it is a downside, especially monetarily. You know, there's a good chance that the first five years of this deal, and they can exit after the first five years, is yes. actually less than the previous five-year income because deals are incremental, so they increase every year, and this one right. would actually start increasing uh, slightly more in year two because that's when India joins the deal, uh, a deal that was previously worth 43 to $50 million estimate a year. So they took a deal that essentially could see them take less money in the next five years, and it was announced very, very quickly. In fact, so quickly that some of the analysts have said that if this story had got out first, that the deal might not have been signed. So do you think it was rushed up and then with the rock announcement to get this out ahead? I think, I, I feel like you have to think that. I, I feel like it's, it's almost Occam's razor to assume that it is. Like, I'd, I'd almost need evidence that it wasn't uh, rather than the other way around. You know, because the deal is so freaking weird because it includes so much stuff. And I think... Um, Dave Meltzer had a quote from somebody who had done negotiations with uh, WWE and said that the way that this deal was signed was extremely different than the way that WWE had negotiated in the past. Uh, you know, it did feel very much like The Rock's um, participation was like, woohoo, look over here at The Rock, don't pay attention to our really shitty deal. Like, you know, don't look at those sex, sex trafficking charges. The Rock is here, yay! Like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. y- again, take your audience for fucking idiots. And 
I, I don't know. I, I, it's It doesn't seem like it's... A, I do think there's a degree to which WWE wanted, you know, a, a cable option, a network option, and a streaming option. And there were a lot of... We had talked about a lot of rumors about, you know, Amazon Prime and other mm-hmm. things. I don't think Netflix was ever something we really discussed. But it was definitely out there that they kind of wanted something on streaming. And it certainly is smart to kind of bet on streaming in terms of your growing younger audience, you know, et cetera. But this is a big question mark for them. You know, it will, we've talked about this, like you're going to all streaming. You don't have that option of like, you know, Oh, I'm just bored clicking through cable. Here's what's on TV. I'll turn it on. Like how much of their audience is actively seeking out their product versus just having it on in the background. And we're going to find that out. And yeah. the thing is about this deal is that it's massively structured in Netflix's favour. Yeah. So they have, yeah, a one to five year first part of the deal that is under the current value. And then the second half of the deal is over the current value. But not by much. So they are still getting the best out of that first 10 years. And then they have another, they have the opportunity to extend it for a further 10 years, which when you look at inflation is going to be massively underpriced. Hugely underpriced. And the other thing that's a big red flag on this one is that Raw goes off the air um, in USA in October. Mm -hmm. and doesn't start airing in Netflix until January. And they're literally, USA made an announcement that Raw would not be appearing. Like, I think they thought, oh, we can negotiate. A lot of folks assumed that WWE would negotiate a stopgap deal with USA to have Raw continue to air on USA. But that's not, Raw made it very, USA made it very clear that that was not going to be the case. So you suddenly have signed a deal in which your your flagship TV show is not going to be on television for two months before it goes to another network. Like, how, like you're there. There's a situation in October of this year where they could lose a lot of viewers. SmackDown is going to shed a ton of viewers just by going to cable and not being on linear TV anymore. You know, Raw. Like, where's that going to be airing on television? Like, mm-hmm. it, 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 so it, it, that's not going to look good for them. Oh, and it's it's interesting because this is probably the high point of their business of where they are currently. Yes. You know, I know that you struggle with, you know, why are they so hot right now? Why Ugh. is they considered so hot? Why are they, you know, why, why when it's so bland and kind of dull TV output, are they so successful with their metrics? And it's not the first time we've seen like that. I was thinking back to kind of 2016 where we had a kind of similar time period where they were selling out buildings, you know, 2015, 2016, like SummerSlam, Barclays, 16,000 sold out first day, you know, 100,000 at WrestleMania, 32. And that was an awful WrestleMania, awful show. And, you know, they struggled with... And the funny thing was, is actually there was more kind of in the last couple of years in terms of, you know, promoting babyface after babyface than there was in that period. And yet that was hugely monetary successful. But the thing is, is that, you know, that, especially with baby faces, is if you don't actually kind of convert them, you can get your machine behind them and you can present them in some way and you can go up and down like they have with Sammy and Cody and Seth and LA Knight. But if you don't convert at least one of them, you start to lose that trust. And it happens quite quickly. But you don't see it in the metrics straight away. So they feel like they're not under threat and that they have stability in the metrics. But I don't think that's a guarantee because you get, at first, it's kind of like a drip. And it's kind of similar. You'll see this in WCW if you look at 99 into 2000. It's kind of a drip. It kind of drops slowly. And then all of a sudden, it's like a crash. And that's exactly what happened to them in like kind of 2018, 2019, starting with the ticket sales and then into yeah. their ratings. Yeah. So 
this thing where they think like you know they're constantly hot so they can kind of oh we can afford to take the risk of splitting our audience and going with netflix and that's gonna kind of safeguard us going forward i don't think that's a sure thing i don't think that's a sure thing as other people seem to think it is you know this business can turn up and down very 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 quickly and that's why when you know when you do that kind of promo that they did on friday night and you think is it just a distraction what are we doing here do we think that this is going to do any better but actually are you watched them bury two of their lead baby faces that carry them oh on the road brutal. <laughs> like just like forgetting anything that's going on with sex trafficking like just from a from a booking standpoint like what, what, are, what are you doing like you've got your top guy calling seth rollins like the losers champion which yeah we know but like dude you shouldn't he's, say he's, it he's the lead guy on your house shows on one side yeah like like you don't like, bury him doesn't like work that. these dates yeah no like and then on the second play you had cody come out give this speech where like literally three days before he's pointing at he's saying i'm coming for you roman i'm coming for you roman and then he's like oh i'm walking away and then they literally have him leave the ring like it was one of the most <laughs> unbelievable like and I kind of, I'm interested in this too, because I feel like WWE over the last two years has gotten newer fans or fans who they've convinced everything yep. is great because Triple H is there and like Vince is gone and everything's beautiful and nothing's going to hurt you ever again. And like, now it's like, oh shit, like they don't actually give a crap. And like the funniest part about this is I think I've seen like exactly two people across all of the internet that I've interacted with. I've seen exactly two people say, I'm excited to see Rock versus Roman. Every other argument I've seen for it is, well, they have to do it because it's the hottest match. And I'm like, what do you, like, aren't you a fan? Like, I'm like, listen, we are fans who fucking love the business stuff, so I'm not throwing stones in that regard. But, like, my first impulse when it comes to stuff I want to see on wrestling shows that I watch is not, well, this is best for business, right? I, it was about what, like, like, I didn't watch Punk versus Hangman and think, well, Punk has to win. It's best for business. I thought, like, fucking, what the fuck? Like, this sucks. That's my guy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's one of those things where, like, WWE has almost gaslit its fans into believing that, that things have to happen because of business. <laughs> and this is, like, it goes back to, like, what you sort of touched on. Like, one of the things I, I get so frustrated by and what I was really angry about the last two weeks is that it genuinely feels like there's an entire industry devoted to trying to convince me that WWE is good, right? And it, like, it starts with, with like, the ringer right? And I think Fightful is involved. And I got to be honest, like Dave Meltzer, as much as I love him, sometimes I'm like, what the hell's wrong with you, dude? Like, you know, wh why am I listening to you talk about this Royal Rumble and be like, oh, it was okay, right? Like, like, like nobody thought the Royal Rumble was good. I, I didn't hear a single person say, oh, that was a great show. It was all like, meh, you know, like, I, I guess I'm just like, why is everybody so and I understand strategic partnerships and media conglomerates and there's a lot of money in this and so it's a lot, it's valuable to people to talk about how great WWE is. But like at some point, you know, don't you have any pride? Like, like how do you watch that and say, oh, this is good? Like not as popular, not as fun. And like, listen, we all watch shit. Like every one of us has like watched garbage and said, oh, you know, but like you're going to literally be like, this is good wrestling. This is a good product. Roman Reigns standing in the middle of the ring going, ha, 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 is good? <laughs> like, come on. Like, come on. I don't know. Like, again, I'm not saying you can, can't like it. I'm just saying, like, re like, really? 
been like, I don't know. I'm, it's just been a demoralizing week. <laughs> yeah, I know. The, the, the funny thing was, is like, and you see like that some players are like, oh, they might be, this might be a kind of scheme to work Cody back in and it's just all a distraction. And quite possibly it could be. But you've just made him look like a coward. A coward. And that's how I people think... will see him now. You cannot get that back. Yeah. You can, and people no. say, oh, he can cut the promo of his life on Monday. And to be fair, yeah. you know, they know that both him and Seth will cut promos on Monday, which is probably a bit of a difference to when they do this in AEW to when they do this in WWE. Yeah. But <laughs> once you, yeah. But once you miss that moment, you've missed it. Once you fucked it, you fucked it. He, he does it. It's never on the same level. James Storm, Samoa Joe, I got, we, we could do millions right. of these things. And people go, oh, but Daniel right. Bryan. But one, Daniel Bryan was a heel at the start yep. of that program. He was a heel, right? And then you do that thing, and it's so much easier. Same with Becky Lynch when they messed that one up. It's so much easier to convert a heel in, into a hot baby face. Really easy in comparison to anything else. You have taken the baby face that people thought could be the face of the company in the lead, and you've now made him a coward and secondary to somebody else. You can't recover yeah. from that. I don't care what you do now. I don't care if you sell your whole audience like, oh, he's going to finish the story and we're going to get in, it's going to be in a triple threat. No, you've told him that he doesn't want to finish his story. Actually, he'll let this other guy finish his story and then maybe he'll chase him later, even though he's not the guy with the title, but he wants a title. Like, it's just bullshit. Um, it's just bullshit. And... The thing about doing that kind of thing, oh, you know, it'd be great for business. So you'll get that business at WrestleMania, get your nice shiny numbers, and then what happens? Watch your right. business go down the year on year. Right. You know, why was the Rumble doing less pay-per-view buys? And don't just say Peacock. It's no. because the Sami Zayn thing. Views. Yeah. yeah, the Sami Zayn thing was hotter last year. That baby face was hotter in you and you buried him. Fine. Right. Okay. What's he doing now? You made the- yeah, he's, he's just a jobber. He, you know, he's, but you, you've made that choice. Okay, fine. So then you get your next one. So you do the Usos, and then that just bled out completely at SummerSlam and was embarrassing. You took too long, you didn't convert. You get LA Knight. I have no problem with not converting LA Knight, to be honest. Don't think it's fine. I would either. It's fine. Um, and then you get back to Cody, and you do this. So you're now in this run of you've not converted anybody, and people start to lose trust. And then you become ultra-reliant on kind of other things. You come reliant on returns. So we've had Orton, we have a punk, we now got a rock. That is going to stir your 18 to 34 number. Always does. It's about nostalgia. And that's kind of what Netflix are buying into, is they want that kind of that young 18 to 34 viewer. But the 18 to 34 is not loyal. They will come yeah. in. And they will go away. And they look at it because, you know, they generated so much 18 to 34 buzz from Netflix with uh, Drive to Survive with Formula One. And we've seen that number be huge for Formula One and 34, but now we're seeing it starting to fall back. So they are not loyal. Your loyalty grows as you go up through the age group. So that's going to be a huge challenge for them. So you say, oh, yeah, he brings them in and The Rock. and But that that rating that he did, you know, that 1.7 million, 0.6 against, you know, ridiculously big college football games... That doesn't happen every week after a while. No. They become desensitized to it. We the more he comes Cena. in. Yes, exactly what we saw with Cena. You know, and when we saw that rating, we knew that was going to be trouble. We knew that rating was going to be trouble because yeah. that rating performed as a whole. So you see, we people go far too much about quarter hours. So you know, yeah. Punk pop this quarter hour, you know, Randy on pop this quarter hour, whatever. They weren't converting them into show ratings. So then when you get a rating that has this huge quarter hour, but also it raises the show up. 
yeah. that's dangerous because that's actually changing something. No network looks at it and goes, oh, but that quarter hour did do good. Right. Don't give a shit. They want the rating. You know, it's the ratings, then they can sell for the ad rates and then make money. Or Netflix, you know, they're going to sell for the ad rates as well, but they also use it as content. They don't give a fuck about some quarter hour. So that was always going to be dangerous. And the thing about this is now is that I don't think this is just the rock coming in and it being some sort of you know storyline and this is where we get back in because i know we talked about this a lot and you think why are we talking about this a lot but this is about a power struggle now yes and there's clearly a yeah no no sorry go ahead no we are we are seeing definite evidence of that you know and i think anyone that's been a fan of a long time will well know that triple h and the rock do not like each other (laughs) they have never liked each other and nor does the rock not just like triple h he also doesn't like a lot of his kind of his lieutenants. He's not a fan of Shawn Michaels. He's not a fan of Road Dog. Uh, I'm sure you can name others. But he's also aligned with Nick Khan, who is very conspicuously kind of been very much involved in this, but is kind of staying out to one side and being kind of hidden off by a lot of people when they discuss this. Um, but also with the TKO board. It's very interesting that he is on the board now of TKO as the face yeah. pretty much of TKO. And Triple H does not have a role on that board. He's now someone who is, as Wade Keller put it back in November, you know, accountable for creative. Well, this has been like my theory since that period of time happened. And since they went with the TKO merger and Triple H did not get a seat on the board is that Triple H has been set up to be the fault guy, fall guy, fall guy for what? I don't think they had it in mind, but I think he's there. You know, the ratings drop. They don't get a certain amount of viewers. There's a problem. It's Triple H. We're firing him. We're bringing somebody else. I mean, that's. Because this is where you start to move into TKO is a Hollywood company. They're not some of these guys. These are not wrestling guys. These are Hollywood guys, and this is how they operate, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's get rid of this guy. Let's bring somebody else in. So I think that's been the case for a while, and I think there's very clearly a power struggle going on. Like we talked about, PW Insider had some of this. Uh, Fightful <laughs> had some of this. There's clearly something going on here where you know Rock feels like he has an opportunity backstage to make a move. You know, he's not just going to sit back and be a you know board of directors figurehead. He has an opportunity to install his guys and put his. And here's the deal: it, you're going to get rid of Triple H. You're going to clean house. You got to have somebody in there who can take over. Like, you still got a show that's going on twice, three times a week live, filling up arenas and audiences. You got to put some guys in place so that you get rid of all those guys, you got somebody else who can go to. This is not something that's going to happen overnight. They don't have the kind of people in there that they can afford to do that. No, and he brings in, you know, Brian Jarrett, who was head of creative for a long period of time. Uh, and it's kind of an interesting move that you talk about some of these names. Now, I look at it and think there's this kind of weird dynamic dynamic to it where The Rock and Joe, it's generally more of the Vince McMahon former mindset. And that's not to say Triple H is rapidly different, but he is somewhat different, especially in the way he presents baby faces. Right. So it's kind of funny that they're kind of looking to go back to that previous. But you can see there's a power struggle. You know, we, we got, got used to interpreting kind of different reports coming out in the last few years with the punk camp and other people mm-hmm. in AW. Mm-hmm. Um, and but this time you've kind of got, whereas with that one, the elite were pretty quiet in general. Yes. And yes. it was coming from other people and other on the side. Uh, but this time you're going to have all the major players kind of leaking to different people, leaking different things, you know, there'll be that kind of dynamic, you know, who's aligned with who, who's leaking to which outlet. So it's very much already, you can see the power plates happening. You can see where this rock oh, yeah. 
Cody thing, this power play happening. And well, whichever way it, it comes out of it, it's going to be next to that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. You could see it happening last week. What, even before the week of the Royal Rumble, you could see Cody everywhere talking about how Rock wasn't going to take his Mania match away. <laughs> Rock sees what's going on. He was on Sports Illustrated. He was on Bleacher Report. No, Rock respects the story. Rock isn't going to do that. Yeah, Rock's coming in, honey. He's taking your story. He doesn't care. Like, Cody was going nuts for him in terms of, like, leaks and everything else. Like, it wasn't subtle. And it's interesting because I don't think Cody is necessarily Triple H's guy. But no. essentially, he's going to have to be. Um, I don't. Cody was. I, I be Cody honest. was much more Vince's guy than Triple H's guy. Yeah, absolutely. I I kind of don't see a way. I don't think Triple H survives all this. And if that's no. the case, so be it. And you know, I keep seeing all this. It's so funny, isn't it? The thing about like the justice for Cody and all that stuff is that I think people are desperate to kind of get off this topic in a way, in terms yes. of you know sex trafficking and everything else, because it's affecting their wrestling. It's affecting their enjoyment of wrestling. And this will... Look, if that's how you feel, well, guess what? None of this is going away. And unless wrestling no. changes, this is going to continue to affect your enjoyment of wrestling for years and years to years to come. To the point where, you know, some of us at times are ashamed to be wrestling fans. Do you want to be like that forever? I don't want to be like that forever. Can, can we literally try and progress this industry? And, you know, just thinking, oh, I, I, you know, Vince is gone, I can have my Royal Rumble back. Or, I'm, you know, I'm sad that it's affecting my enjoyment. I don't care. I don't care. You know, <laughs> personally, I'll embarrass myself here. Here we go. You know, I've been to four WrestleManias in Triple H shirts. I've met Paul and Stephanie a couple times. One in a fan capacity, one in a different capacity. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. These people have to be held accountable. And what you have to do with wrestling is sometimes, you know, whether you enjoy a story or a character, enjoy it in a moment. Be be ready to let it go. You just yeah. have to. You have to just be able, you know, just be ready to let it go. Be ready to move on from it. Because at current, it always finds a way to disappoint you. And to let you down, and to let the people in the industry, most importantly, down. And well, I'd rather have that change than hold on to some memory from seven years ago. I think that's the thing that, like, you know, and you know, last weekend was not a fun wrestling weekend. <laughs> I know that I had a hot, hot trigger, and I was getting into some fights with people where I had to stop <laughs> myself and go, "You, you don't have to fight this guy on the internet. <laughs> it's okay." But one of the things I kept getting annoyed by was not even annoyed like exhausted on a molecular level was people coming in and saying, and I don't want to say dudes cause I'm sure it wasn't all dudes, but people coming in and being like, well, you know, I, it's okay if I watch the rumble, right? It, it's okay. If I, I, I really want to watch the rumble. It's okay. It's okay. And I'm like, dude, you can watch the rumble if you want to, like you can watch it, but fucking feel guilty for like five minutes. Like just feel bad for five minutes about it. Like, 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 like these women, you owe them that much. <laughs> you owe Janelle Grant and Ashley Massaro and Rita Chatterton and all the other nameless women whose stories we haven't heard yet. You fucking owe those women five minutes of feeling bad about this. Like, cause none of this is a surprise. None of this is new. None of this is stuff we didn't know. Like some of it is stuff we didn't know, but like we all kind of probably, nobody looked at that lawsuit and said, this doesn't seem like Vince McMahon. Everybody went, oh God, he did this, didn't he? Because like, we all fucking knew. And like, there's a list of enablers, right? Like, and there's a giant list of Vince McMahon enablers. And like, we as the audience, we're on that list. Like, we're probably down at the bottom of that list, but we're on that list of enablers. We are the people that we knew about the Ring Boy scandal and Dr. Zahorian and Owen Hart. We kept watching. We kept giving him money. We kept turning in. 
We kept saying, oh, it's okay. You know, Vince is not in charge. We did it. So, like, we've enabled this. And we have to kind of feel bad about it. Like, the very least we could do is feel bad about it for five minutes. But, you know, I get that people really struggle with that. It's not an easy thing to sit with. Part of it around, you know, we mentioned about the media as well. And that's kind of brought in wrestling media because we have so few journalists that a lot of people come in as fans of the business and come up that way. So you get people who, and because of the nature of wrestling journalism, who are kind of too integrated or, you know, or just don't see the kind of the seriousness of things. And, you know, we, we saw that in the immediate reactions last week where we had some wrestling media going, oh, this is crazy, this is wild, like, what are you doing? Treat it with the seriousness that it it deserves. And even, you know, somebody like Dave Meltzer, who is so well-connected and being in the industry of so many years, having somebody said to him, you know, are you really this naive? You know, I knew everything. Um, When you try and say, you know, oh, it can't be as bad as that. So, and it is that thing of that integration and how close it is. And the fact, you know, you, you talked about it, so... Part of the problem is is that people are led... You, we know this, right? People are led by media. We see yes. this 24-7 yes. <laughs> in all parts of your life. But the, the issue is is that you know a lot of these companies are monetized. Of course it is. So they're driven by the audience. And their audience doesn't like neg- negativity, uh, negativity towards WWE. It hates it. No. It really wants everything to be positive. And you, you, know, you only have to look at... Oh, God, they're so bad. YouTube thumbnails. Colaholic, oh. what culture... Well, you know, we can make a whole week of thumbnails villainizing Tony Khan for a tweet, but on this, it's like, Vince McMahon betrayed, like, what? Like, this is just a failure. It's a failure of media, and that's not everybody. You know, as you mentioned earlier, we think, you know, post-wrestling have done a fantastic job with this for me. Yes. Um, in terms of their coverage, in terms of separating out their coverage of this from other things, in the most part, when they can... And I think, you know, Dave Meltzer's written coverage has been exceptional as well, considering yes. how close he is. I, and his ability, for me, his ability to get changing information and then react to that and articulate that in a way, um, I, you know, you have to kind of look to that. But in ge- we've also seen the very worst of it. You know, look, if you listen to Jim Cornette, just uh, let's be yeah. honest, just don't listen to our podcast. Yeah, I don't please. care. Like, if you can listen to what he put out last week and you can talk about him being a good guy or anything like that, I don't care. Like, that shows you the very worst of wrestling. And that shows you the worst of humanity to me. So, you know, we've seen the worst of it. But, you know, I, the, the thing I've struggled with is seeing, you know, we've seen so much, we have seen some very, very good coverage in wrestling media, but there's not much of it. And, you know, there's also this thing of monetizing it. So, you know, why are we doing... I want to see super chats. I don't care what the... You know, this is numerous. Yeah, numerous outlets. I want to outlet. see, Yeah, I want to see super chats on this from any outlet. Like, like, and I don't want to see it used to drive subscriptions either. And I guess that's kind of difficult because I was thinking about what do mainstream news kind of outlets do, you know, and I was thinking about coronavirus in a way that that was kind of monetized with different newspapers. But, like, can we just not? Is there not another way to drive your viewership or your your monetization? Is your monetization that important that you can't cover this fairly? Well, there's there's two buckets of criticism I think that you know, and the first one I want to make it clear: like the average wrestling website, wrestling journalist, you know, and I'm not 
they're not capable of covering a story like this. There are people who are like, how did Dave Meltzer not know about Janelle Grant? Like, first of all, do you understand the amount of legal support that the Wall Street Journal has to be able to put a story like this together? Like, the amount of, like, the ability of them to have a lawyer, a team of high-priced lawyers come in and, and you know, Dave Meltzer doesn't have the resources for something like that. Plus, no. your average, someone who's a victim like this is not going to go talk to your average wrestling media person because that's the other part of it is the protection that that person needs in order to tell their story and feel safe. Okay, Mm -hmm. so like that's a piece of it. So there's no criticism there that the wrestling media did not break this story. This is not a story the wrestling media should be breaking. Okay, but the the issue here is like, like let's talk about it. Like we knew that the feds raided Vince McMahon's house last summer. You know how much of of media did that summer? Like what were we talking about? You know were we giving more more discussion of like what this could possibly mean and was this tied back into the NDAs? Which again we were all aware of. We knew about that because the Wall Street Journal had broken it. Or are we talking about Lufisto and like the bad experience she had on AEW Dark, right? Like, what does the wrestling media choose to talk about and choose to focus on? And how Even do they worse, choose? They were focusing on his fucking mustache. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Like, there was far more coverage of him coming back to TV with a mustache than there was from some outlets on this. Right. Like, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. <laughs> it's. It's that. It's like, let's be honest. It's like, oh, hey, we, we never have a woman on our shows ever. No. But this week we have one. Right? Like, like Most didn't even have that. Yeah. You know, so, the, and the thing is with this is that, let's be honest, you know, now, in this last couple years, we've, ju- we've, we've grown to have some really great content creators in wrestling. Okay? So we've got some really great podcasters. I think podcasts like, you know, our sister podcast, Tunnel Talk, are really important to this space in making people think differently and changing that kind of viewpoint on how you view wrestling. And I absolutely applaud that. I'm over the moon to see that after all these years of being told to kind of think in that kind of male dynamic. Yep. And, yeah, there's others as well. You know, there's some absolutely great people. But we don't have that many female analysts. Nope. We don't have female journalists. And this is not an industry that encourages that. Nope. And we definitely don't when it comes to major outlets. So when you come to your major wrestling media outlets, you know, it took till Sunday before there was actually a female voice on any of this. And, you know, so we, then they had um, Lisa Gifford went on Brian and Vinny. And uh, Kate from Montreal was on post on the Saturday night. But, she, but that's her normal slot because she does the collision recap. But that was it. That was the first time. And... It's not about do you need to have female voices on when there is an episode of sexual abuse reported in wrestling. No, I don't think, in fact, that you do need that because, to me, it's like, one, not all abuse is aimed towards women. And you've already mentioned, like, the Ring Boys scandal. You know, this is not a company that has just been abusing women. And wrestling, as we talk with power structure, abuses everyone in one way or another at the current time. That's the reality of it. Um, but yeah, it doesn't need to be that, but for some reason, you know, sexual assault is seen as a woman's problem. It's seen as something that women have to deal with, but it, it kind of reflects a more serious point in terms of the makeup of who is vocalizing wrestling to its audience. And, you know, you look at it. So in terms of who watches wrestling, most audiences for most shows, you know, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Dynamite, whoever, it's mostly between 60 to 7% male and 30 to 40% women. 
So essentially one in three of the viewers of wrestling is a woman. But we don't have one in three on airwaves talking about it. I don't hear one in three voices being women. Okay? Like, it's... And that shows you that this is an unwelcoming industry for women to be participating in that. And uh, because, and I think some of this comes back to the, vo- the Vince thing as well, is that females are just less respected in that regard. You yeah. know, you have to always kind of um, quantify what you're saying to be kind of respected with an opinion in a way that a man isn't. And that's not just in wrestling, no, you know, that no. happens in a lot of sports industries, I think about it as well. You know, we talk about women football. I was listening to a podcast the other day where they were talking about the death threats and the, their ability to not be accepted in their opinion, even though they're a World Cup winning footballer. It's because they're, you know, so there's this, and there seems to be a pushback on that in in general in industries. You know, you've got, when you have, say in the UK, we have Comcast runs uh, B Sky B or Sky Sports, and there has been a push for kind of more integration of female analysts. And there is a huge pushback of that. And it's a public thing now. So it's not just wrestling, but we're not even at that stage. We don't even have the people in place for anyone to push back from, you know, and again it's absolutely fantastic we've got so many great content creators coming through in this industry but if we don't have the serious voices then you're not going to get that that viewpoint in that form and then you're just going to take this other viewpoint and that's going to be it and that's how you're going to kind of accept all the news or you're going to view everything so the way things are shaped and are viewed are just not from any time a female perspective in wrestling and like let's face it and i you know even the best guys, even the guys we really like, mm-hmm. they fucked up this week. Like, <laughs> it's hard to call them out on it because at the same time they did great. But, like, you know, mm-hmm. Dave Meltzer assured me last weekend that women should be more upset, right? He was upset that a woman reporter at the press conference for Vince McMahon did not ask a question about this. And, I, again, I, there's no defending that. If you were in that media scrum and you did not ask a question about this scandal, you should have – if you weren't prepared – and, again, I understand not wanting to discuss the topic. I respect that there are people who can be triggered by this, and this isn't – but hand the microphone over to somebody else. This should be the only thing people are asking about in that press scrum. But the idea that women should be more upset about this – like, come on, Dave. What, are you, what the fuck are you doing? Like – between the, even Brandon Thurston has done an amazing job. He trotted out like this is someone's daughter. Like, guys, it's 2024. <laughs> like, these are not like, and, and I, I think one of the things that it's important to point out, and it's almost a little bit more heartbreaking sometimes, right? Because you assume as a woman, you know there's Vince McMahon's in the world. There's guys out there that are just going to be fucking pieces of shit. You know as a woman that you got to be prepared to deal with them. What's almost worse sometimes is when the good guys let you down. And I think, I think there are a lot of women that can relate to this. You say your friend or your coworker or somebody you know, hey, you know, Johnny was fucking weird with me. He made a comment. He did this. He made me feel uncomfortable. He, 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 he did something that fucked me, like was fucked weird. And your guy friend comes back and says, well, he didn't mean it like that. He's a good guy. <laughs> okay? Like, you know, you didn't mean it like that. Yeah, well, it, it, I didn't like it. But now I know that you're going to pick his side. So this is... It's almost more heartbreaking when the good guys disappoint you because you're like, I'm trusting you with this thing, right? Dave Meltzer, like, I want you to report this fairly. I don't want you to tell me that women should be more upset. I would like you to be as upset as I am, Dave, because that's how change happens. That's how this shit stops, is you are as upset as me. And you are not asking me to come on your show or another woman to come on your show to, to say why this is bad. You can say why this is bad. 
Like, you can raise your voice. You can do this for us because we're fucking tired. We're tired. We'd like some fucking help, okay? Could you pick up some of the load and carry it for us? Because we've been doing it a goddamn long time and we are exhausted. I thought I just deserved a bit of a pause, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> no, that's, that's it. And, you know, when they talk about, oh, you know, she should have, you know, uh, Emily Fall should have sold a better question and should have cared about it more because she's a woman and she failed, well, all those journalists that didn't ask about it failed. They all it didn't did. matter if you're a man or you're a woman, you failed because that should have been the only source of discussion. And it should be the only source of discussion when they have their WrestleMania press conference on, on Thursday as well. And we'll yeah. see how the sports media deal with that who are in Vegas and whether they announce WrestleMania in Vegas or whatever they announce or whatever they're doing with that show, that needs to be the topic of discussion. And we'll see how if then people fail or don't. And that doesn't matter about what sex they are. No. It's like, let's see if that set of sports mainstream journalists can perform any better. Um, and yeah, it's a crime towards a human being. And it's the same thing that we talked about with the when we discussed the... Uh, the rumour around Chris Jericho and the reporting of Nick Houseman. It's exactly the same thing. Yes. You know, and he used that line about, you know, if it was your daughter, no, you have to start treating people like human beings. You need to raise people to respect everybody and not to... And you sh Why are we raising women or why are we teaching women to be fearful of something and to make themselves safe? I, I had this discussion in the house today. Um, he knows I'm going to say this, so it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we had this discussion and we discussed, you know, somebody raising something against WWE. And then he went, well, why did they go back if they felt unsafe? Ugh. And I'm like, it's the only place of work. Why should they be forced into another industry? Because that industry is not safe and not be able to use their voice. And sometimes it feels like we haven't progressed in the way that sometimes you want to believe that we have. You know, I, it reminds me of kind of a really serious crime uh, that happened here 30 years ago. It's, they've got a lot of coverage, a lot of shows on the last few years. And the whole emphasis was on, it's not safe for women to go out at night because of this person. So women don't go out. But not that we're going to deal with... It's just that emphasis is always on... The woman, and it, sometimes it goes the other direction, you know, people kind of, they want so desperately to change things that they kind of actually make it harder. So, you know, in women's wrestling especially. Do you know what chant women hate the most in wrestling? Oh, Any women's, women's wrestling. wrestler. Yes. They fucking detest it. I detest it, but they detest it more. You talk to any, I talk, there's a, a wrestler here, um, quite prominent British wrestler I speak to every time I speak to it we bring it up because you know the same as yourself you know we, we both work in male dominated industries wrestling is a male dominated industry they fucking hate it and it's not because they don't know that you don't mean well they know you want to support women's wrestling you want it to be seen on the same level they just want to be seen as wrestlers right. they just want to be seen as people they don't want to be seen as something different they don't care for the woman's time slot or the women's match or no, they just want to match. They just want to be stars and be treated and be like everyone else. That's it. And that's the same thing that we're talking about here. We don't want people to look down on it and see, oh, we should have a woman discussing this just because of what it is. No, we should just have people discussing it because it's a crime against people and that should be enough. That's right. it. You shouldn't be listening to this podcast because we're two women. You should be listening to this podcast because yeah. you think we're interesting. If you don't think we're interesting, just turn it off. <laughs> 
I, like seriously, turn it off. You shouldn't put a woman on Wrestling Observer Radio because she's a woman. You should put her on because she's interesting. She's got something to say that maybe is a little bit more interesting. Like that's the kind of shit that like, oh, I gotta have a woman now. You don't have to have a woman. You like if you're not at this point in 2024, like seek out alternate like viewpoints. Seek out like people who are thinking about stuff differently than you are. It's only gonna make your enjoyment of the product better. And it's like, good to have debate. Like, why do yes. we seem to think that we have to have all people that say the same thing and talk about it in the same way? No, do you know what? If we don't agree, that's great. I'd rather not I love agree. It. I'd rather discuss things. You know, we don't need to... You don't need to present this one viewpoint for your platform or your monopoly or whatever. No, the more of the, the kind of viewpoints that you have, the more people are going to become invested because they learn something. You change your way of thinking. There's nothing better than having your thinking challenged. It's awesome. You're suddenly seeing something and like finding some appreciation, something that maybe you've overlooked before because you're like, geez, I didn't thought about it like this. Right? Yeah. Like Brian Danielson is bringing Hechicero to the, to the masses of America. Like, you know, (laughs) your life is better because you saw that match last night. Or it should be anyway. (laughs) Is there anything else that we're going to add on this? um... (laughs) It'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, You know, there's more coming to this. You know, and let's let it not be unsaid, folks, that this fucking Tuesday, freaking NXT, one of their storylines was all about how a bunch of women were going to put out a calendar to save Chase U. So, yeah, Shawn Michaels is really looking at those policy changes in 2022. I don't fucking want to hear it. Nobody commented on it either. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody noticed. Nobody thought about the connotations. Nobody thought about was this really a clever idea. Right. Tells you everything you need to know, really. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Like, come on. Do, be- do better. Be better. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill all right so we're going to move on um we're going to change tracks we're going to change i think we're going to go from insane music to calm music and we're going to talk about AEW. and we're going to talk about it and it's like i said when we talked at the beginning of the episode we talked a little bit about the weird disconnect between this incredibly horrible topic and light fun silly stuff but I'm also going to tell you that the only thing that kind of got me through this last two weeks with wrestling was the last two episodes of Tunnel Talk. And I probably listened to the last 15 minutes of last week's Tunnel Talk episode probably six times. Every time I started to get depressed, I would just throw that one in. And um, so I can't recommend it enough because it really just uh, reminded me of all the fun stuff and the silly stuff that I love about wrestling. So give those gals a listen. I know we talk about them a lot, but it's because they're awesome. So anyway, so in the light of that and in the fact that they gave me some happiness, so if we can point you guys towards some happiness too and not just heavy stuff, we're going to talk about AEW. And we're going to kick it off with AEW's nascent partnership with CMLL. Um, <laughs> my notes say AEW and CMLL have a partnership. Suck it, Conan. <laughs> anyway. CMLL uh, wrestlers showed up on Dynamite last week, the week before, um, and they were 
uh, in the audience for the opening Mox versus Jeff Hardy match, which was awesome because Mox sort of just fell into a bunch of CMLL luchadors all wearing suits. It was tremendous. Uh, and then suddenly they came into the ring afterwards to beat him up, which like, let's face it, that's all you need for a wrestling feud. So Mox was upset. He was not um, rescued by anybody from the BCC because they weren't in the building, quote unquote. So uh, Matt Seidel, Christopher Daniels, and 2.0 came out to rescue him, which led to a match between the four luchadors. It's, um, uh, oh God, Trish, you're going to have to help me. It's um, Hechicero, uh, Mascarada. Yep. Mascar- 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 yep. Yeah. Uh, Volador Jr. Yes. Uh, and Mystico. Thank you, Jesus. Um, this is like the only time where I'm more knowledgeable. So I'm not even that much of a, and I'm, I'm not You're as knowledgeable CMLL as I am on AAA. So anyway, so they had a match that with those same four wrestlers who came in for the rampage, which was awesome. And then we had Hechicero versus Brian Danielson, mm-hmm. um, with uh, Moxley giving a promo on Collision that sort of hinted that the AEW guys were going to show up at Arena Mexico. And a lot of this reeks to me of Danielson saying, geez, I'd love to do a match in Arena Mexico before I retire. And Tony Khan being like, I'll get you whatever you want. You're my favorite child. Uh, (laughs) It's very different to when WWE could not get a partnership with New Japan for Danielson. (laughs) Um, But the matches have been awesome. It's kind of fun. It's new. Like, this just seems like the kind of neat stuff that AEW does that we just really enjoy. Like, there's not a lot to it. It's just neat. Hechicero did, it was, Danielson versus Hechicero was a great match. It was so fun to watch. Like, you know, they did, it was just great. I think this is good. I I think this is a neat thing. And if it can tie into Forbidden Door, like that would be even more awesome because having the three promotions, New Japan, AEW and CMLL involved in Forbidden Door is only going to elevate that pay-per-view at a point where it probably needs to be elevated a little bit. Trish, what are your thoughts? Yeah, they need something different um, for Forbidden Door this year, I think. And we, we talked about it previously with Okada kind of coming out of New Japan and Will Ospreay. The the attraction for Western fan base in particular is not as strong. It leaves you with kind of two or three big match options. Right. You know, maybe Hiromu, Naito, and then a very wounded poor guy, Tanahashi. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> But, you know, in terms of their money draws, that's kind of it. You know, you've got your, your Shingo Takagi for your great match and your Tomohiro Ishii and um, potentially Zack Sabre Jr. But in terms of your money draws, that's it. So you are going to need something different to sell the Forbidden Door show this year. If you can start that angle quite early and do that kind of mini invasion thing or f- feuding with, you know, arguably your biggest active faction. I don't think the elite can be considered active right now as a, as a faction. Sadly so, not. Sadly not. Uh, so then why not? And, you know, CML is at its hottest in a very long time. You know, they're the ones doing 15,000 in Mexico every Friday. Yes. Uh, they, you know, week by week, surely they probably have the highest average attendance of any company in the world. Uh, so they are hot. They have got some fantastic young wrestlers. They are pushing wrestlers at the right level who are older as well. You know, the talent that have come in are all very much experienced and it helps that you have the partnership with New Japan. So there's no political issues nope. between CML and uh, New Japan because they are partners. You know, a huge Fantastica Mania tour coming up this year. Uh, probably one of my, definitely my husband's, but definitely one of our favourite weeks of the year for wrestling. So it all just fits in quite nicely. It gives BCC something to do. You can argue whether it's big enough or not. I, 
I don't really care. Um, I just <laughs> enjoy watching it. And it's great to see more styles of wrestling in AEW again. You know, yeah. we, we talked about how they shied away from that. Yeah. So to get something like this is something you kind of didn't see last year. You weren't seeing that that kind of that that mix orientation outside of a couple of weeks of Forbidden Door. So, you know, and you got to think about it. So people go, oh, you know, it won't draw. And that. Mr. Co was a huge draw when he came in for Huge. Cells. Sold a ton of tickets. Yeah. Yeah, it may not have done a huge amount for TV for that uh, rampage, but he sold a ton of tickets. And you're in a, you're in a point now where you have to please your, your ticket buying audience just as much as your TV audience. Yeah. You, know, you can argue the TV audience is stronger because it's a contract year and they've got to get their numbers. Great, they have. But with these secondary shows, you are not going to attract the same sort of audience that you are for Dynamite. So you have more freedom in what you do with the secondary shows and then you can build them up to be you know, a big deal for Dynamite. And that's the thing. So, the, the, you know, they did the match on Collision. They're going to do the six-man. That's going to be entertaining six-man in a big card. But it's not like using wrestlers from Mexico hasn't drawn from them ever on TV. You know, Vikingo and Omega, if you gave it the right build, was, to Huge. me... Yeah, and if you look at the numbers and the competition especially, to me, that was the biggest TV number of last year. Because yeah. the things that performed better than that uh, had much, much lesser competition. So to me, that's still an out. It's the most outstanding number, and that I've seen all of last year. So if you give them the right build and you get them the kind of feedback and the investment from your audience into it, then it can be successful. But it's just so nice to see that mix of styles again. It feels much closer to that kind of original orientation of AEW. So I'm all for it. Well, that was what, what I was going to say. <clears throat> this is a kind of experiment that makes AEW unique. Right. Mm-hmm. This is one of the things we talk about. When we say what makes AEW different than WWE. It's this kind of stuff. You know, like you don't see this kind of crossover promotional type stuff with with. You know, I understand Jordan Grace was in the Rumble, but you just don't see this on <laughs> WWE. Yeah, and the way he talked about that was like it was a charity favor. Yeah. Uh, the press conference. So uh, yeah, I am not buying too much into that being a huge deal. To be to be quite honest with you. No. Uh, but yeah, what do you think BCC are in a holding pattern for? Because it's an interesting, <laughs> it's an interesting pattern, isn't it? Because you've got Brian Danielson who is playing a heel against Eddie Kingston, but they're all tweeners. The BCC are tweeners. Yes. Um, but will naturally become more face as you head towards August and him stepping down from full time competition. Yes. So that's going to be something you're going to manage. You've got John Moxley who is listed as a heel and is acting like a heel, but is really a tweener. But he's kind of out of the bracket since kind of leading the Orange Cassidy and then the Eddie Kingston thing. So what do you think they're being held for? That's <laughs> oh, such a lead question. That's why you're laughing at me. <laughs> I don't know what I think they're being held for, Trish. Um, I think they're being held. I think Moxley, especially right now, is being held for Okada. Um, okay. At least in terms of like immediacy, maybe not. I might be wrong on that. I think there's some. You could argue maybe Osprey, but I think Osprey not quite yet. I think. I don't know. I think that this we didn't discuss this as part of the WWE rundown, but no. the big signs right now it does appear as though Okada is headed to AEW. Um, there's been reports this week that um, AEW offered him the larger dollar amount. Um, yep. There were reports that WWE. Um, Offered him money, and they just sort of feel like if he wants to work for them, they'll, they'll he'll call them. <laughs> and it's it's interesting because the initial thing, as soon as the Okada news came out, was pretty much he's going to WWE, right? And then all of a sudden, it started to kind of roll back. But yeah, maybe Moxley is being kind of held back for him. It would make a lot of sense if your first time matchup. Uh, they teamed together 
uh, twice now. Teen Snap yeah. twice now. Uh, one to... Is it New Year's Dash or New Beginning? I'm going to get that wrong. Uh, a couple of years ago, and then obviously at this past New Year's Dash. So you definitely could do that. Uh, Moxley's an interesting place because he's been beaten a lot in the last year, and I don't think he's going to settle for that forever. No. Uh, You'd also think that naturally the um, the Will Ospreay thing would kick in, being that that's kind of where they left it at Wrestle Kingdom. But something tells me that Osprey is going to finish the stuff off with the Callis family and yeah. uh, the Jericho thing first. As much as people aren't going to like that. Oh, they're going to be can... real big mad about it. <laughs> yeah, but I can see that's kind of probably what they're going to jump into there. Um, but yeah, you get Okada coming in. Obviously, they've got quite a few rumors now of other... We know Mercedes is coming in. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's uh, anything to even debate anymore. It looks like on Wednesday they're, they're definitely going to announce uh, TD Garden in Boston, which is an upgrade from the original venue that was uh, planned for that day in Worcester. Uh, so, first thing Very much March. an upgrade, Trish. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, been, I've, I've been to Worcester. Um, I'll take well, some hits from my Worcester friends, but I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, hey, no, I have a good friend in Worcester. I, I gotta be, I'm going to be very careful. I like this. I like, I like the town, but I can understand that, you know, for a showpiece event like that, if you are going to launch someone and, pre- and prevent, uh, present them as a star, then absolutely you want that in the biggest arena in that area and also, you know, the most kind of noteworthy arena. That's the name people are going to go for. Oh, it's in the TD Garden. Okay. And it's the most accessible as well. So you want people to be able to get there. You want to push that show, the right strategy, the right pricing strategy. You know, we saw... The, the Dolph announcement, which is going to be another big show post uh, Revolution. Duluth. Like, oh, Duluth. I don't know. <laughs> you know, that's that's know. my British. That's my Britishness kicking in. There you go. Um, but you know, that's the right location because Atlanta. You know, past Sting's last match, that kind of should be his retirement center location. But I think they've got some probably some other big things planned there. But when we see the pricing strategy, that was much different. It was actually much simpler to when AEW. Uh, originated as well. It's funny how many of these things are going back to how they were when they originated. Just makes you think. Um, but <laughs> Crazy. Gonna get, gonna get myself in so much trouble. Wonder um, why. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's kind of funny that Price and Australia looked a lot stronger, looked, you know, a lot easier. And if you do something similar with TD Garden, and, you know, I know people say, oh, you should do it like the punk thing they did in Chicago. No, no, I think they should announce it. And I think they should do hype videos. I think like they should hype it up. They should make it a huge thing in a way that they just don't in general. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and that's often a criticism, you know, of AEW is, especially their baby faces, is that they don't hype them in a way to kind of sustain them. So with this, you know, you want to start her strong out of the door. So hype her, hype her up. You know, especially it's your, it's your women's division. It's a division that you know a lot of people have seen improvements in. It's been like night months. and day. It's yeah. so much better than it was even like a few months ago. I feel like one of the things that I'm really enjoying, and I know that we've debated, disagreed at this on time, disagreed <laughs> about this at times. Jeez, Louise. But I've enjoyed, I feel like Deanna Parazzo has been a fantastic foil for Tony Storm. I feel like she's brought the best out in Tony Storm. I feel like the, the yes, it's a gimmick. I get it. But she's made it there's an emotional component to it that was missing with the Mariah May stuff, I think. And that's where it's become a little bit more um, enjoyable. Plus, Tony has just hit a stride from a comedic standpoint that I am like, oh, is she going to be on commentary? Spectacular. I can't wait. <laughs> Do you think it's interesting that the way that it's been talked about Mercedes is, um, this is kind of reminiscent of Ronda Rousey coming into WWE, 
is they aren't talking about her coming into the women's division. They're, com- they're talking about her coming in as a star. You know, she'll have a separate segment from the women's segment. Which they need to get rid of the women's segment. I hate that. Oh, but yeah, they see her as a star, and they're bringing her and her in as a star. Uh, one of the big things that changed presentation of women in WWE, as much as everybody wanted it to be like the four horsewomen, like Sasha and Charlotte and Bailey and um, who's who am I missing? Sasha, Charlotte, Bailey, oh, Becky, Charlotte. Jesus Christ, Becky, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> but as much as you want to think that that changed the perception, it kind of didn't. And it took someone like Ronda Rousey, who'd been successful elsewhere, and had been able to present that image without having that kind of traditional image that you would see in WWE, to come in and literally change their business. You know, other people say that she was highly responsible for Fox's last ridiculous contract. You know, she she drew huge, huge ratings, especially in the first six months. So it's interesting that they kind of look at her and look at Mercedes in a similar way. And that they're looking at her as a star. And it makes me think of why have they not looked at their own women as a star who have been successful? So say like Britt Baker, whatever you think of her, and I'm sure there's many varying opinions, (laughs) um, both uh, as fans and talent, but she was delivering numbers equivalent to their male breakout stars. You know, the Darby Allers, the Orange Cassidy's, the Adam Pages of this world in terms of rating the breakout, right? So she was delivering that. So she became a star and then they snuffed it out and it never got out of just being like the the female star. She wasn't ever seen as a star, but somebody can come in from elsewhere and be kind of looked at that way. I just kind of, it's kind of an interesting... Um, I think there's something to that. I do think one of the things that, again, when we've talked about 2024 so far with AEW, we've talked about cautious optimism. And I think part of what I feel about with the cautious optimism is that, like, if you're going to bring somebody like Mercedes Monet and you have to have people for her to face. And you have to Mm -hmm. have people for her to face that feel like as good or as big of a deal as she is. Right now, I don't know if you're necessarily going to have that because I don't think there is anybody in the women's division who, and there are a lot of systemic reasons for this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That said, it does feel like the amount of time and energy that they've devoted to the women's division in the last couple of months has elevated to a point where her coming in will not feel like she is so much further mm-hmm. above the rest of the division, I guess is the way I would describe it. Yeah, I hope it does actually change. You know, it looks like Tony's outlook has changed already. Yes. You're right, it is nine and day. But I hope that it does kind of continue to increase that. And he, you know, they can get over this thing, whether, you know, people say it's Tony or it's the network, whoever it is, that don't see that their women wrestlers can be stars. Right. And don't want to see the time invested in them. Because it's ludicrous. Because you can think of kind of numerous male wrestlers who were not stars when they were given a huge amount of time to develop them into stars. Wardlow. Wardlow's still not a, a ratings draw for them. Oh, they still use him. Con- Sorry, yeah, I know he's heard. It's probably harsh, but, you know, it's it's unfortunately true. You know, they, they hired him in the kind of five-minute gimmick matches in quarter hours and that sort of thing uh, to kind of get around that. But they continue to push him, you know, and the hope is that you develop into that ratings draw. Darby Allen's probably the easiest example. Right. Wasn't drawing. They invested in him and invested in him, and now he draws. And you need to be able to do that with your woman as well. It's, it's the same. It's kind of the same um, fundamentals as what we've been talking about there is about treating women as in the same way. So we don't cut the woman's match down because we've missed some time or anything like that. We just cut what we need to cut down down. But it's so, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of optimistic about how um, how Mercedes will do. Hopefully um, 
she's like fully invested in everything and yeah. wants to you know because it's it's something to be seen as a focal point and that was something she was never going to get in WWE. no you know as long as charlotte flair was there and now you know rhea ripley she was never going to be the focal point of that company and this is an opportunity to be that and we know you know when we talk about power structure how important that is to people to be seen in that way so yeah hopefully she helps to drive things forward i think she's a far more sure investment than someone like Soraya. agreed um, i always thought that was uh I always thought that was slightly insane to invest that much into someone um, in terms of what you get back, but I don't think that's similar on this one. No. How do you think that show will do? You know, you're, 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 it's your area. Um, <laughs> it's not mine. Well, I've, already I've already mispronounced Mis two American delete. places today. I'll well, behave. <laughs> uh, I think it'll be good. You know, listen, they did, what was it, 8,000 at the Garden when they came for Blood and Guts in July? 9,000. Uh, 9,000. Yeah. Um, I think they can do a decent number. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think they've had a WWE show in Boston recently, which will help things. Um, although I could be misspeaking on that one. Um, I think was Survivor Series in Boston? Somewhere around there. I think that might have been the last one. Right. It wasn't super recent. Um, okay. So I think there's some options there. I think it'll be, you know, a decent... A decent show, like you said, the pricing structure has to be there. They have mm -hmm. to do some, the advertising they've done with the talent has been good, but I think there's still some holes in regards to like promotion of letting people know the show is in town. Um, that seems to be, it needs to be the right talent as well. Right. You know, right. It, we do some local talent, but it tends to be kind of lower to mid-car talent. Some of the top talent need to be out there. Agreed. We need to be seeing these people out there. I don't, I don't care what's going on and that you, you need to fix that. That's still, yeah. that's still poor issue yeah yeah but i think you know there's definitely some legitimate criticism of the way they've handled tickets recently but i think it mm -hmm. seems like they have started to turn that around and it seems like the new guy may be getting his feet out underneath them a little bit yeah. um and they may have like kind of a better sense of what they need to be doing so i think they'll do a pretty decent number i think it's going to depend on you know how they present this i agree with you i don't think they can make it like a first dance hint thing i think they pretty much have to just flat out advertise it and that's the thing. So, God, there's been so much coverage. Do you know? Do you ever feel like we're like three months ahead on this att on this attendance chat? It's yes. bizarre, right? Like, because you know, we follow the maps, and our friend Diego is very good at updating us as well. Um, he's a little data hound, but we can kind of see where these issues are like weeks before it kind of gets realized. So, you know, we saw when they had the changeover, and uh, before the changeover, we saw that they were following WWE around the country. Right. They were getting absolutely flattened by, you know, being in the same market. We've just seen that. So New Orleans, a week after Raw, like, what are you doing? Um, Savannah was very close to SmackDown as well. So you cannot survive like that. And then we've no. seen issues with map management, which indicates that they're dealing with other bigger things. And, you know, Jacksonville went a week without a standard ticket being on sale until the day before, Yeah, which is insane. Uh, and we've seen similar issues in other buildings as well, pricing issues, you know, not, you know, and I get wanting to take people off the idea of discounting because it was teaching fans to wait to the very, very end for cheap ticketing. And it was also pissing people off, quite frankly. Oh, you, yeah. You know, your, lo your loyalty in buying for the product early was being dismissed. Yeah. And there has been a difference. So this week coming up in Phoenix, I think they're currently at um, about 4,450 looking at the WrestleTix uh, spreadsheet. You know, they've been doing this slightly differently. So they put in their, their cheapest line of tickets, their $20 tickets, but at the back of each section. 
And then when they sell that section of them, that, out, that kind of allotment, then they're moving again to the back of that section. So they're kind of going downwards in the layer of the venue. So then you're not pissing them people off in the front of that section and going, right. oh, by the way, we paid, the, you know, you paid $80 and I paid 20 you know, because that's not fair on anybody and that will piss people off. So it's been a much firmer strategy. You know, they're out of $20 tickets again this evening. I imagine tomorrow they'll convert that down again and extend that out. And it's probably been the first show in quite some time that's shown a more kind of normal big match ticket pattern in the way well, that big matches in the previous few weeks like Joe and Hook just didn't because of the kind of the management, so. Well, we talked about this. There was so much going on with the way the maps were being managed. You couldn't pin it on any one individual like you normally could. And I think we talked about how bad this particular, like, swing has been for them and was Mm -hmm. going to be for them. And, you know, one of the things I find so frustrating about the way that the news centers around this is that, you know, Dave talks about this. Everybody everybody suddenly looks at it and goes, oh, my God, and they, like, loses their freaking mind. And suddenly there's days and days and days about, like, well, you know, how far in advance do you think they have to book these buildings? Like, it's not like this happens, like, two weeks. You know, it's not like they can turn the ship around real fast on some of this stuff. They're, they're booking these buildings weeks and weeks and weeks, and in some cases, months in advance. So, like, if there's an issue with, yeah, if there's an issue with the way they're set up the loop or they're following WWE and they can't rectify that quickly, Okay, guys, it's going to take a little bit of time. So, like, I understand Dave got all heated about it because for whatever reason. But, like, doesn't mean we all have to, like, follow the, 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 the Pied Piper on that. Like, take like I, that's where, like you said, I do feel like we are ahead of the game. <laughs> Again, let's it's congratulate just, ourselves. <laughs> no, it's, it's not even like a victory lap, but it's kind of sometimes you watch it and you're like, you could see this yes. and you could see what's caused this. So, and it's, again, it's that thing of people are very quickly to go, oh, it's this in the product or it's that. Right. But actually, a lot of this stuff at the moment is fundamental things behind that. Right. So when you were looking at last summer and you're going, oh, Washington did 5,000 last time in this um, market, it did 3,000. But they comped 2,000 and they cheap ticketed. So they probably did a lesser gate. Right. So are they more successful in that period? No. So you've got to kind of work out when it is the product that's driving it. And there's nothing to say. You know, the product's in a reset at the moment. Clearly. You know, and a reset that they weren't in last year. You know, last year we had five or six ongoing feuds coming out of the new, you know, coming out of the new, the old year into the new one. We don't have that this year. They've had to reset the product. They've had to reset the presentation. You know, there's so many things changing. The rankings have come back and nobody can understand them because they just don't understand. It's a storytelling device. Wrestling is not a sport. You can base it on whatever fucking sport you like. It's not fucking boxing jesus christ and it starts on the first of the year because if it didn't nobody would ever be able to escape the position they're in before oh, that's the that everyone the would be a jobber forever and you know what we have an ally in this joe lanza is an ally in this unbelievable um <laughs> it's true I heard, I heard the flagship and i was like oh my god thank god somebody else is actually thinking about this it's a storytelling device guys it's it gonna be keep like him thing. It should be it's, like UFC. Uh, oh, yeah, Jesus yeah, Christ. Let's be, let's be like boxing where dead people are still in the rankings. Well done. Um, and nobody follows it anyway. And now boxing is so unpopular that we're running fights like UFC fighter versus boxer. Or boxer right. versus Logan Paul. Yeah, I was like, about to say Jesus Paul Logan Christ. Paul versus Yeah, somebody. which are well, actually one of the most successful boxing events in the UK this year. That's what mess boxing is in. So this keeps him honest. 
it keeps him very honest, in fact, because there can't be a Takeshita. You can't get somebody a big win and be 5-0 and and then just ignore them. Right. People bring up examples from the past and the ratings and that, and you've got to understand the politics involved there. People now have to lose. You want to be in the ratings rankings, you have to lose. And, you know, maybe you can escape Collision Island one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say you could lose or you could go be on Collision for the rest of your career. <laughs> Which one do you want, guy? Um... Yeah, but take yeah, a fucking so, pin, Jesus Christ. Yeah, so I think, and you know, we know the can- Canadian numbers uh, a little bit stronger as we go through into March. I was just about to that. say that the Canadian numbers are significantly stronger than the last Canadian tour they did, which yeah. shows that they've learned some lessons from that. Yes, right. So, you know, there, there's actual room for kind of optimism. Um, we seem to be stuck in this paranegativity, and they, they look, they have an opportunity. This kind of mess that's going on in WWE. Yeah. You know, you don't want to think of it as an opportunity for an alternative company, but it is. It's a business opportunity as well. Because all the mainstream coverage has been WWE is great and AEW just is isn't. either dying or isn't or has problems. And it has had problems. Yeah. You know, they, they've had major issues at the top of their structure that have impacted on several people. And, you know, across the company, not just the people that have been mentioned, you know, who have affected people physically, their mental health, whatever it may be. So they are coming out of that and WWE are moving into a more uncertain time period. So it is an opportunity period. So, yeah, I'm optimistic. There you go. It's two weeks. I think that's two episodes in a row. We've been optimistic about AW. You know, we're not doing a 20 minutes dissection of the rankings because FTR (laughs) aren't in them or the Bucks aren't in them. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> like, of all weeks, what are we Well, that was, that, that's part of it. And I feel um, like this is where, like, some of, the, some of the structure of some of these shows that, that people do where it's like, well, we're going to do five minutes on Vince McMahon and then 20 minutes on why the rankings are bad. Like, guys, yeah, think, about, just think, think about this a little bit. Like, let's I, let's I, just have some perspective on this yeah. right now, you know? Um, yeah. So you can discuss other things in wrestling. Still, this comes to like the Cody thing as well. Yeah, you can discuss that. You can think it's not a great move, but you know there's a priority at the moment, and sometimes there are things that go above your enjoyment. Yeah, you know whether you use wrestling as an escape or not. Sometimes there are things, and that will mean that we have wrestling and a safer place for these people to work in the future. Yes, which is the most important thing beyond anything we can talk about. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's All a right. show, folks. That is a show. We That's yelled. It, we're going home now. <laughs> we're done. We're going to bed. We yelled. We laughed. We talked. We did not discuss mustaches. Oh, first week in how many weeks, Trish? Well, you know, some have lost their mustaches, which needed to go. Rightfully yeah. so. They're not. Right. They're, you know, they're, they're tuned in. They know. Yeah. Um, some mustaches but... are looking even more beautiful than they ever have before. You are really worked up about this. Oh one. my, I, Trish! Like, I don't like, know what happened think... to me. I don't think we started like this, right? I no. mean, I was more into this, and now you're like, like <laughs> What is going on with this? Mu- I mean, good Lord. Like, it, go and look at a picture from, like, July 2021, oh. and look at a picture of Hangman oh. now, and oh. it's like, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> All I keep thinking about is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> I will make you a man. Like... <laughs> Oh, this uh, this clothes deteriorated, didn't it? I know. Um, <laughs> uh, we covered all of the emotions in our emotion uh, wheel. Yeah, we went through the the entire uh, the entire sphere today. Yeah. So okay. So yeah, this has been the uh, 
the Trish and Sarah Wrestling Podcast, and we are produced by the wonderful Leah from Tunnel Talk. This is also a Tunnel Talk appreciation show today. Yes. And uh, we are also proud to be part of the Social Suplex Podcasting Network. Please check out all the great pods there, you know, from the aforementioned Tunnel Talk to One Nation Radio to the guys at Keeping It Strong Style. You know, guys, you know, we can all be smart. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're not afraid to put them over. No, we'll put them over. No, they're, um, they're a fantastic insight into New Japan and one I'm grateful for on uh, every Tuesday. Um, but yeah, we can all be smart. It's okay. This is a smart network. You know, yeah. lots of smart people on this network. But yeah, all the other great shows on that network lineup. Very proud to be part of that and the way they look and going forward and all the support that we've had since we joined there. It's very much feels like a family. Um, you know, talking of support, I, I've got to say, we've had um, some incredible feedback in recent weeks. Um, can't thank everyone enough for it. Uh, whether it be general feedback or you want to debate anything we've brought up or any questions, you can always reach out to us at uh, tristansarahpod at gmail.com. TristanSarahPod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter. No X, no X, in the, no X on this podcast. Never. Uh, never. Uh, at, at, at Trish and Sarah, at Trish and Sarah. Uh, we also enjoy reading your reviews on your favourite platforms, on, your, on the YouTube clips, on the Social Suplex Discord, on Twitter, on the board, and wherever else. Trust me, that they find our way to us. Even the places we don't... Uh, we don't go much, still find a way to us. So I really do appreciate it, whether it's directly or indirect. Um, we're really grateful for it. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's it. So I've been Trish. I've been Sarah. And uh, we'll be back in a fortnight's time. So see you then. credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.